We are not expecting a uh, fire alarm drill today, so if the bells ring and the street is surreal, please make your way calmly through the two exits. There's a large number of us today for the new two exits. Just be aware there are a couple of brands, so someone might need assistance as you go down the stairs and congregate on the glass circle outside. Thank you. All your mobile phones should be switched to silent, please. Um, the meeting is being audio recorded officially. Um, so members, please make sure your microphone is switched on before you start. And right, first item on the agenda is apologies for absence, Maggie. Thank you very much. Any declarations of interest, members? Fine, thank you. And we'll proceed to item three, the minutes. Item two, the minutes for the previous meeting. They have been circulated. Can I take it as a true record of I shall sign those in due course. Um, if I'll take matters arising, and I'll go through the minute number. PC3. PC4. Sorry, Councillor. Uh, Chairman, on PC3, could we just have a brief explanation of how that matter was left? Because um, uh, discussions among members made it clear that not everybody was... Uh, Understood what had happened in that uh, uh, when that those votes were taken on that matter. Um, I think one matter of clarification about why I actually am today is that because the matter was there was a resolution to sorry a proposal to defer and couldn't even interject, and so therefore that was part of the problem. The matter was deferred, technically speaking, and it was deferred. But the, the, the way in which GPOs work is that we have, they are only up for a certain period. And if they're not confirmed within a certain period, then they lapse. And unfortunately, that was what actually happened. It didn't mean immediately that the GPO had lapsed. The GPO was lapsed, would have lapsed the following Tuesday after that. So when we left the chamber that night, the GPO was still in place. We have now placed another TPO on there. So we're back to where we were when we started. So, so no damage done. And I think, you know, Hands up from officers if anything could help you out a bit more on that one. But we are, the three are now TPO'd again. PC4. Right through to PC5 on page 16. And PC6. All happy, thank you very much. Right, the first matter for consideration on the agenda for the members is item 4.1, which is an application on the Stafford Warden and the Ashton Road Commercial Centre. And Mrs. Shoesmith, I don't have a Thank you, Chairman. Um, members will remember that Outline Planning Permission was granted last year for this site. Um, it's the current Ridgen site. Um, the original outline covered a total site area here. This application is for the reserve matters for just the Ridgen's building on this part of the site. Um, the principle of um, development for in terms of the builder's merchant, 
um, a mixed use of um, light industrial offices, general industrial, warehouse distribution, um, also retail store, cafe, restaurant, public house, and 167 dwellings. Uh, the fifth floor of that was granted on the outline, um, including the point of access, which is um, the existing access on site. As I said, this is with regards to the details for just purely the ridging store. Um, this is the phasing plan um, which was provided to us. Now, this has been slightly amended um, to allow the ridging space to come forward first, together with the bus turning facility on site as well. Um, so in terms of what is consideration, it's the full details of all that within what is um, a slightly a pink neutral colour um, on, on this phasing plan. The details um, for the Ridgings building include the detailed design, um, the commercial access um, for the store itself, which is um, purely the access from here all the way up to what would also facilitate the following phases to the north of the site as well. This phase would see the demolition of 12, sorry, seven units on site, which are located here um, to the eastern half of the site and the erection of the new store. The new store would have dimensions of uh, 42.2 metres in width, 98 metres in depth, and 10.4 metres in height. There will be two separate accesses um, into the site. Sorry. Um, the first access point will be located to the south of the site, which is purely for the customers um, into um, their own individual car parking area here. Um, and it would also serve the exit for the HDBs as well. The second um, entrance into the site would be to the north, which would be purely for the staff car parking and the um, HDBs that will be servicing the store as well. The layout of the site um, has been devised that it, there will be no conflict between the two vehicles in terms of uh, customers and staff and um, it would be for a clockwise um, movement around the site in itself. As you can see from here, there is, as I said, there will be two separate car parks, um, one to the south here. There will be car parking spaces along the western elevation of the building, which would allow for um, the loading of vehicles uh, when collecting goods. Further to the western elevation, there will be ex external storage um, in terms of a racking system, which will be approximately um, just over four metres, four to five metres in height, and the stacking of, um, uh, for example, bags and, and other materials on site. Um, staff car park would be located here. There will be a number of larger um, kind of parking for larger goods located around here to the site um, and there will be sufficient turning cables to the north of the site and also to allow for refuelling of the HDB vehicles. To the east of the site there will be a recess to allow for the unloading of the goods uh, which would allow for 
other HGVs that are sitting on parts around the site itself. This is the ground floor plan of the site. Um, to the south of the building, there will be the general um, showroom um, for, for lights, plumbing, heating, etc., and general light goods. To the north of the site, there will be the more bulkier um, goods and back office, etc. The first floor plan will be mezzanine floors to allow for the um, canteen, um, for the offices itself, and for more storage and archive items. These are the general elevations of what the building would look like. Um, it would say it would be uh, approximately 10.4 metres in height. Um, that would be subject to further confirmation of the specific ground level changes throughout the site itself. Um, this will give you a more illustrative detail of what the site, uh, of what the building should look like in terms of um, the overall material and the corporate colours which will be incorporated within the suite. This is a cross section to give you a rough idea uh, in terms of the improved parameters of site and height and the changing ground levels and how the proposed building, original building, would fit within that and the overall site in itself. Part of the application, as I said, the bus returning facility has also, is also included for consideration. Since the submission of the application, this has been revised um, to allow for a one-way system to allow the buses to um, people to be able to turn within the bus returning facility and to allow other vehicles to pass whilst they are stationary as well. So, so that has been amended to take into account both concerns that have been raised by the town council and the highways authority as well. So, in terms of the car parking, um, 123 car parking spaces have been provided on site which meets the maximum standards. As highlighted within the report, they are, um, they are below the standards in itself, however they've taken on special standards whereby they, they are slightly bigger than the old standards um, to allow, um, to continue to allow the number of parking spaces to be met on site, um, at the same time to allow um, sufficient back-to-back -back distances for manoeuvring within the site as well. The, um, the building itself will be accessible, designed for accessible standards. Around the perimeter of the site will be three metre um, welded mesh fencing. Um, completely screening of the site, and to the western boundary there will be landscaping which would further soften the appearance of the site from the outside. In terms of the building, um, this application um, has taken on um, a slightly more a larger area, uh, which was uh, approved as a flexible use as part of the outline. So the regions. Um, site in itself will be slightly bigger, but at the same time, as a result, there will be a knocking effect in terms of reducing the level of um, HGV or general vehicle movements within the site as a result of that. So the, um, as explained within the report, there will be a slight settlement. The scale, size and design and layout of the store and parking um, is acceptable. No harm is considered uh, to result in terms of amenity and is in accordance with local plan policy. The, um, 
it needs to be made clear on page 30 of the report, section 10.10, it discusses visibility displays um, that have been amended. Um, this, there is an error there. The, the 43 metres of visibility display is actually the internal road within the site, not the main access um, to the wider site in itself. So in terms of that, there is no change from what has been approved on the outline. Said, as I stated previously, there will be a site assessment in terms of the level of vehicle movement. Um, in turn, there will be an, a, a resulting improvement in terms of air quality as well. No objections have been raised both uh, by Environmental Health or the Highways Authority. The landscaping uh, that has been submitted is also considered acceptable. In terms of a number of points that have been raised within the report by constantees uh, in terms of the lack of um, information related to the conditions, as I said, this is the reserve matter stage. Details surrounding conditions that have been uh, imposed on the outline have still need to be submitted for approval. So in terms of that, that doesn't negate um, what is later to be considered as those conditions, uh, both in terms of ecology and drainage, etc. in itself is considered acceptable, therefore approval is recommended as outlined in the report on page 33, subject to the following amendments. Condition 4 um, be amended to read, prior to the construction of the building, excluding, demo excluding demolition and site clearance within this phase, um, cross-sections of the site to be submitted. And the additional condition of prior to the installation of the fuel tank, substation and external racking details to be submitted and approved in writing by the local planning authority and thereafter implemented in accordance with the approved details. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Shoesmith. Uh, we have one speaker on this uh, item and that is the agent Paul Belden. You have three minutes, Mr. Belden. Thank you, Chair. The provision of a new ridge install is the first phase of the development that has been brought forward. It is key to the redevelopment of the site as it delivers the main spine road into the commercial area that would serve all other commercial plots. If approved, development will commence imminently and this will act as the kickstart for the regeneration of the remaining employment parcels of land that need to be brought forward to help cater for the ongoing demands for employment floor space within the town as a whole. In terms of Ridgin's own needs, Saffron Walden is a very important branch and this development will deliver the much needed improvements that are required to retain the level and standard of service that customers have come to expect. It will also help further strengthen the already strong roots that Ridgin's have within the town. In terms of the more specific details, the new branch is to be located on the eastern half of the site as set out within the outline application. The layout of the new store is based on other recent stores that have been opened within the region. While smaller than the existing store, the same stock lines will make, be maintained through the more efficient operation of the building. The design is of simple construction with the entrance being marked by full height glazing. The service yard and access details have been purposefully designed to meet Ridgin's requirements. The car park provides a full allocation of spaces with the customer car parking area located in front of the store. 
The layout and size of the parking area is based on a full review of the existing car parking that serves the existing store and includes larger van size spaces to help cater to the needs of its customers. The size of the parking spaces was fully discussed with the County Council prior to the application coming in and in my view strikes an appropriate balance between providing appropriate facilities for customers, ensuring no harm to highway safety occurs, whilst also making efficient use of land so the remaining employment plots can be brought forward in an efficient manner. A policy compliant provision of cycle parking spaces was proposed. This reserve matters application has been prepared following extensive engagement and has received very few objections. Those objections that have been received mainly relate to matters which are either covered in the outline application, such as the generation, or which will be covered by the future reserve matters applications, such as the future delivery of housing. All consultee responses are supporting the application. The one concern that was raised by a consultee related to the protection of the roadside verge, which has been controlled through the outline conditions. This detailed submission responds to the requirements of the adopted local plan and remains faithful to the spirit and commitments embedded within the outline approval. The discharge of the outline conditions is underway and I think good progress has been made over recent weeks. We hope that permission can therefore be granted so that much needed redevelopment of this commercial site can commence. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Belkins. Uh, members, any questions of the officers on this application? Um, firstly, to say that uh, from the perspective of employment and commerce in South Morgan, I, I, um, I very much welcome the change of phasing on this site so that we, we are going to get the improved facility up front rather than the housing project. That's an excellent idea. However, and I mentioned it this morning, the issue of the, of the park, um, we have here what is the very largest industrial site in South Morgan, and yet you're proposing to, um, to reduce parking spaces below the standard. So we, we, we're, we're reversing phases here um, in, in, in an instance where the, I can see no good justification whatsoever. If we go against policy in this instance, any future application could point to this to say why are we doing it? I'm sorry to be nitpicking on this one because I support the overall scheme. Surely we can get this right now. The um, parking standards themselves, the, the old parking standards were um, 2.4 metres by um, 4.9 metres. Um, the special standards which this case has taken on, uh, which is outlined within the parking standards itself, is um, 2.9 by 5 metres. Um, the parking standards say in exceptional circumstances, um, in certain situations, um, those are taken on, um, those are adopted in itself. This has been agreed um, with the Highways Authority. In this instance, um, there is a, obviously the site is constrained in terms of the, the, the size of the phasing scheme in itself and, and the building, uh, the size of the building that needs to be achieved together with um, the level of circulation and the racking. In terms of the maximum, um, um, maximum number of parking spaces, these 
um, those have been achieved and the level of back-to-back -back distances between car parking spaces have been achieved, um, but there has been a compromise there in terms of the size of the, of the parking spaces. Highways haven't got an objection to that. Um, they meet um, the numbers. They meet uh, in terms of safety, back-to-back -back distances. Um, they're just slightly small in terms of the size themselves. So in terms of um, off kind of off-site parking, this shouldn't occur because they meet the number of parking spaces that have been achieved. In terms of the sizes themselves, um, there has been a balance um, that has been kind of weighed up within the scheme in terms of whether to achieve the number of parking spaces at the sake of slightly smaller sizes themselves. Um, as I say, there has been no objection. We have adopted a similar approach in other kind of circumstances um, on other commercial sites as well. I, I really don't see there are any exceptional circumstances here. This is the largest site in Saffron Walden. Provision could be made to do it properly. We can't do it here. Where can we do it properly? So the comment I would make on that, I've just counted the number of spaces along the length of the building. It's something like 35. So if we applied the standard of width of 2.9 rather than 2.5, we're increasing the length of that parking by over 17 metres, which is quite an impact on trying to plan this site out uh, to make it work in its environment. I can, I can fully understand the, uh, the Ripping's uh, concerns about the, the, the width of spaces. I mean, this is a, the, the space at 2.5 by 5 metres is something that is generally adequate, and uh, if you go into West Hampton anywhere else, they're all much the same. The new, the new size is, is extra generous because of a lot more vehicles are coming and I appreciate that point you're making that are obviously wider than, than most, but I, I can't see a problem in having 2.5 by 5. Um, the old standard used to be 2.4 by 4.8, so um, I can't see an issue, but I'll leave other members to comment if they wish. Okay, members, well, if there are no further comments, then uh, we need a proposed, sorry, uh, Councillor Mill. Just one further, Chairman. Um, the, am I right to believe that it's uh, an in and out for everyone, basically the exit will be for all vehicles, cars and lorries coming down the same way? And wouldn't it be possible where the Houston sort of vehicles are going to come round, they're also going to meet the cars coming in from the side? I wondered if it could have been possible maybe to make that a bit of a safer junction. We obviously can have vehicles converge at different degrees into the outside parking. The, in terms of the customer car parking... Um, yeah, they're going to be coming out exactly where the lorries are. And they're going to meet the car. Yeah, I mean, the number of lorries that are coming in and out, those are, you know, it's similar to the situation which is on site at the moment, um, in terms of them, them all going in. Um, the customer car park... Um, customer parking, the minute they're, they're turning in, they're forced to go to kind of the left of the site, um, whilst the HGVs are, are pushed further um, this side of the boundary in itself. Um, the visibility slates, uh, as I say, have 
have been um, looked at and a safety audit has been carried out in terms of visibility safe in this junction as well. Um, so there, there is no, there has been no objection made by the highway patrol. is that on that roundabout with bus services, there's no provision for spurred and formed. Um, and I, I understand that the design of the other um, parts of the development are not yet forward enough. But it would be wise, I would think, to avoid disruption for traffic at that roundabout area. If spurs are going off into the other areas um, of development in due course, they were provided at this initial stage. That would um, allow the traffic to flow freely through the site. Yeah. Are we, are we got, so we've got spur off for the right and we've got spur to the left. Fine. Okay. That, that's the two spurs then. Fine. Okay. It didn't show on the phasing plan. Thank you. Members? Thank you, Chairman. Chairman, I think you were looking for a proposal, and I would like to propose that conditional approval is given. Thank you. Does that find a seconder? Uh, Councillor Hicks, thank you. Did you wish to speak, Councillor Hicks, on um, this? <coughs> no, I don't think I do. Thank you, Chair. Right, Members, we have a proposal on the seconder for uh, a conditional approval. All those in favour, please show. Those against? Any abstentions? Thank you. And that is approved. Thank you. Moving on to item 4.2, 15 stroke 0623 Henham. Um, and Sarah Marshall, Mrs. Marshall, are going to take us through this one. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. Um, I'd just like to draw your attention to paragraph 10.10 .10 on page 44. Um, in the second to last line, the word not has been admitted, so it should read um, that on balance there will not have a detrimental impact on the countryside setting. Um, also, it should be noted that since the report was written, the Council is in receipt of an additional 70-odd representations. These have been received after the consultation period was finished. Um, they don't raise any new or further issues. So the application before us is for the change of use of part of an existing haulage site to a gypsy site for five traveller and gypsy pitches with associated washroom at child's play area. Uh, this is the site layout. The, uh, the gypsy and pitch, traveller's pitch will be within this red area. That follows that. And this 
area that's outlined in blue will remain as the haulage yard. The site is situated outside of development limits, approximately 500 metres south of Henham and approximately one kilometre from Elsenham. The existing site has a lawful use of a haulage yard with the stationing of two residential caravans. The surrounding area is comprised of open fields with one residential dwelling and a commercial property which adjoin the northern boundary which does not form part of this application. The Council does not currently have a five-year land supply for gypsy and traveller pitches and it has been established that there is a need for gypsy and traveller pitches within the Uttlesford district. Sorry. The site is a brownfield site just outside of two settlements and which is large enough to cope with the proposed five pitches. It is considered that this proposal meets the policy set out in the planning policy for traveller sites and on balance is a suitable site for the proposed five pitches. As such, on balance, the site is suitable for the proposed development and it has been recommended for approval subject to a number of conditions which include the investigations into contamination of the site, soft and hard landscaping to include internal boundary treatments, the on-site parking and lighting. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Sarah. Um, we have three speakers on this application, and the first is Councillor Gleeson. I understand you're speaking as District Councillor, Mr. Uh, Councillor Gleeson. You have five minutes. Thank you. <coughs> Members of the Planning Committee, thank you for allowing me to speak today. As one of the two councillors for Elsen Henham Ward, I'm here to speak against this proposed development to Hilltop Yard in the strongest possible terms. My ward colleague, Elizabeth Parr, cannot attend today because she is on shift at Addenbrooke's. She is equally opposed to the Hilltop Yard planning application. The Hilltop Yard site has been rejected as a residential development no less than 15 times over the period 1968 to 2011. I believe there has been no change in circumstances that would warrant any other decision in 2015. Access to the site is on a blind bend on a hill on a stretch of road where the national speed limit prevails. Adding more residential units to the site would dramatically increase the chance of road traffic collisions as people try to leave the proposed development. In addition, the junction at the bottom of the hill has its own problems. The high number of fatalities there has led to an ongoing campaign to reduce the speed limit along that stretch of Elsenham Road to 40 miles an hour, which hasn't yet happened. Over 500 local residents have lodged their objection to this development, which is almost, it's actually over half the population of Henham. This statistic speaks volumes about the strength of feeling in the community regarding this development, and I urge the planning committee to take this into consideration. I feel it is worth bringing to the committee's attention that lighting was erected at the site without permission. We are still waiting for it to be taken down following the planning committee's decision to refuse a retrospective application. There is growing concern in the community that this defiance of the planning process has set a precedent for future behaviour. Finally, I would like to say that while a new local plan by a new administration is being drawn up, surely this site should go under the same evaluation as every other site put forward for consideration. This should not be decided in isolation. A decision in isolation would be unfair and against the new mood for a fair creation of a robust local plan that residents voted for in May. To sum up, I urge the committee to refuse this planning application 
based on highways, grounds, planning precedent and the legitimate concerns of the local community. Thank you all for your time. Thank you, Councillor Gleeson. Um, the next speaker is uh, another, another objector, Jeff Gardner. And you have three minutes, Mr. Gardner. Thank you. Uh, members, uh, good afternoon. I'm going to focus on the objections clearly to the site and arising from the officer's report. We've already made um, extensive objections. First of all, the, the question of need, numbers. Um, the report says nine pitches are needed in the, in the district in five years. Um, that report is based on a report which, which I say is unreliable. Um, the uh, update report shows 61 pitches catering for 38 households. This indicates a surplus, not a shortage. The reports would have been examined as part of the local plan process, but of course that was stopped, so they really haven't been tested. There's also a breadth study which looked at 29 sites and, fought and recommended 43 pitches, and the site was not one of them. The study is a relevant consideration. If not, why was it done? The provision of travellers and gypsy sites is something which should be done comprehensively across the district, as the previous speaker has said. The planning policy for traveller sites, policy H, is relevant but not adequately addressed. Paragraph 23 is to strictly limit uh, development in the countryside. Sites have got to be well planned and soft landscaped, we've got no details, and not be enclosed with hard standing, hard, uh, with hard standing and high walls, which is exactly what you have. The, a September 14 consultation goes beyond that and says LPAs should be very strictly limit sites in the countryside. S7, which is the policy in your local plan, has got three strands. It needs to take place in the area, must be appropriate to a rural area, and protects and enhances the countryside. I say that this development does none of those things and critically does not, uh, does not enhance or, or the, the appearance of the countryside. This is a very visible site. The officer's report says that soft landscaping can be required. We don't know what that might be. This is such a critical matter. Uh, the current site has been virtually raised to the ground, so we're not, not entirely confident that there will be soft landscaping. But you need that now. It's so critical. The site is contaminated. Um, the Environmental Health Officer says that, and local knowledge says that. And at the very least, this should be investigated before a decision is taken, because it affects deliverability. If it's found to be contaminated, it won't be delivered. Sustainability. Many, many refusals, as we've already heard, and travellers are residents too. We must be aware of that. There's no footpath along the road. The report says that the residents could cycle. Um, primary school children can't do that. This is wholly unrealistic. Conclusion. The assessment of need is, is inadequate, in my view, and yet need is the main justification for this development. It's wholly contrary to policy S7 and it is not, the, the balancing exercise is not being complied with. I do have reasons for refusal, which I won't labour, suggested reasons for refusal, and which I won't labour you with now, or I will if you wish, or else I can give it to you on a piece of paper, should you decide to go down that route. I think those reasons for refusal have been noted in your correspondence. Not necessarily. necessarily. I've now developed this, obviously, having read the report. Okay, well, um, 
the committee are aware of the policies involved and if they are minded to refuse they will have reasons for refusal already so um, thank you for your offer but uh, we'll see how that one moves forward thank you I've got, by the way chairman I do have copies of this if you need it a full copy and a, and a short version should you need it ok I'm not sure that's necessary and I'm not sure if we're allowed to take it now anyway so thank you okay. The next speaker is Jenny Wigley. You also have three minutes. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I represent um, Henham Parish Council. I'm a barrister instructed by them. Councillors, time prevents me from outlining the many reasons why you can and should refuse this application. You've already heard from Mr Gardner and seen representations from many residents and I urge you to take notice of them. I focus here on the fundamental legal problems with granting this application. You will be aware, no doubt, of the legal duty at the heart of the planning system. An application is required to be determined in accordance with the development plan unless material considerations indicate otherwise. This means that the scales do not start off on an even balance. As a matter of law, priority is accorded to the development plan. There have been many recent legal cases where the courts have quashed planning decisions for failure to follow this fundamental legal principle. I urge you not to fall into that trap. Policy S7 is an extant and applicable development plan policy. To avoid legal error, it must be correctly interpreted and applied. The extent of breach with it must be identified and properly considered. That simply has not been done in this case. On a proper interpretation, the proposal is in clear breach of policy S7. It is not development which needs a countryside location, such as, for example, forestry or agriculture. It is not appropriate to a rural location, nor will it protect or enhance the character of the countryside. The ability to rely on unidentified soft landscaping would mean that any development could be properly permitted in the open countryside so long as there was a condition requiring soft landscaping. That would plainly be a wrong approach. The clear conflict with policy S7 points to a refusal of the application, but the refusal is further strengthened and required by national policy, which urges strict limits on traveller site development in the countryside. Whilst need for traveller sites is a material consideration, this should be based on transparent evidence, something which Mr Gardner is shown is missing in this case. Even if the need evidence were robust, that alone would not justify ignoring the other policy tests, nor would it alone justify a departure from the development plan, which has statutory priority. A lack of five-year land supply of traveller sites, even if proven, is to be a significant material consideration only in the determination of applications for temporary planning permissions. That's what national policy says. This is not a temporary permission, and the policy tests for granting any temporary permission have not been addressed. A lack of five-year land supply of traveller sites, even if that's the case, simply does not have the same effect in policy terms as a lack of five-year supply of deliverable housing sites. Even if such a lack were properly found to exist, its main effect would be on applications for temporary permission. It would not render policy S7 out of date or of less effect, and there's recent legal authority to that effect. Furthermore, any need cannot, cannot be addressed at all by an undeliverable site, which this may be if the contamination suspicions prove to be the case. The law provides that the development plan simply cannot be brushed aside on a general and unspecified balancing exercise. 
It provides that criteria of relevant national policy cannot simply be ignored. A grant of permission in this case would be contrary to the law in these respects and be likely to be quashed with an award of costs against the Council. I urge you to refuse the application and thank you, Chair, for allowing me those last few seconds. Thank you. Right, uh, members, have we any questions of the officers? I have two. Oh, Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. Well, I did ask on site this morning, uh, Mr. Brown, I asked you about the um, walkway because of the, the pedestrian access. I wonder if you could give us an explanation, please. The Highway Authority have not requested a footway link into the village, so that's the starting point in that the village and to the local highway authority have not requested a footpath link into the village and without that request I think it's very it would be very difficult to insist upon one having said that there have been residential developments within the village where a pedestrian link has been proposed and not provided because there's lack, that's not part of the character of Henham in terms of footpath links within the village so that's where we are. But the starting point on this particular application is that there was no request for a footpath link by the local highway authority. My two questions were, Mr Brown, um, firstly, uh, we get accused of all sorts of things at committee and I wasn't actually sure that there was a comment that the lighting, um, this is just really just for exactitude, the lighting had come to committee but it, I didn't believe it had. I thought that was um, delegated. Yes, the application that we received for the retention of the lighting that you saw this morning was rejected by, by planners, by the officers at officer level. It didn't come to this committee. The reason why we haven't taken enforcement action on that is because we haven't because we have this application needs to be determined at the same time. So we need to determine this application. The lighting on site is not acceptable. And so we would be taking, um, we would be taking enforcement action regarding that lighting. But that lighting is, is, it wasn't proposed as part of this, what we've got in front of us today. So, but there would be enforcement. The only reason enforcement action hasn't been taken is because we've got a current application. We want to get both applications sorted out before we actually get to that stage. I don't know if you want me to clarify the other matters that were raised by the second speaker, but... If you bear with me, that was one of my points, but I'm going to just go through those that need to speak. And first, the uh, Councillor Fairhurst. Thank you, Mr Chairman. I've just got a couple of points. Um, um, this was all new to me. I obviously read the, the, request, the comments by the different um, applicants and the opposition. Um, but the question I raised this morning and now is, uh, if it's unfit, or, if it's suitable, it's unfit or, or for purpose for 15 applications, why would it be now fit for purpose in the travellers' situation? It worries me because it does mean that they, they have lower requirements, lower um, um, demands of, of a residential environment. Secondly, the issue is, was raised in terms of footpaths. The site itself is wholly unsafe. Um, there, you're talking about a haulage contractor and children running around the park. This can't be seen as a logical um, long-term solution. Um, and thirdly, I'd say that, the, that the, the applicant himself has been found obviously in contravention with the lighting um, and also in terms of, of the roof pitch, we were told today as well, and no one seems to be able to do anything about it. Is this a person with whom we want to entrust the security of five dwellings and, and the village? Thank you, Mr Chairman.
My particular issue. First of all, I've, I've, I don't think you can take it, well, you cannot take into account the likelihood or unlikelihood of someone taking into account of, you know, conditions. You can't take that into account when taking this decision. Uh, in, in, in the context where we're doing, I explained the lighting issue that um, the, the lighting was proposed, submitted, we had an application and we refused it. The application for the building, uh, the building, he was, he was repairing the building, which doesn't require planning permission, and he has extended it slightly, which, which, that is, that is the, that is the, please, could you please refrain from interrupting, thank you. Yes, it's my countryside too, and this is this 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 is a principle. The principle of this meeting is that you have had your opportunity; you've been consulted. The presentation has been made. People have spoken against it on your behalf. We are now determining what is the right path to take, in our view, as elected members. This this just just. Yes, just a, mo- just a moment. There are people here who will challenge the facts if they think they are wrong. But this is a meeting in public, not a public meeting. So just bear that in mind, please, and just hold yourselves back. Thank you. Can I just, just finish that bell point? The works that have been carried out to that building do require planning permission. Um, the, applicant is aware of the, the applicant is aware of that. Um, he has a choice of whether to submit an application, cease work or do nothing. If he does nothing, we would need to consider that application in its absence. I remind members that that is a haulage yard where there are structures on the site already and that would be the context where we're talking. But that aside, you cannot take into account the fact that whether he's breached or not breached planning control as a material planning consideration in terms of determining the application. That's all I need to just clarify on that particular matter. One thing, did they get I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm just asking a question. Who is that My name's John Goval. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Goval. I've explained to your 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 uh, colleague up there. You've had your opportunity. You've made your representations. We've read them. We've had the emails. We've had the letters, and you've had the presentation today. We cannot accept questions thrown out of the into that site without any plan. These things happen and... Well, Mr Brown has just explained that enforcement action is in the wings waiting to take place. I mean, would you want to hang the man before he's guilty? Right. (laughs) Councillor Freeman was next. Thank you. Hanging a man before he's guilty would be a very effective way of... uh, solving some crimes. Um, Chairman, I have a lot of difficulty with this application because although I have a certain sympathy with travellers and travellers' sites, I feel that this one is wholly unsuitable. When we did a site visit this morning, it became clear that actually five pitches aren't five pitches at all. They are actually ten pitches. If you look carefully at that picture... It, it was explained to you this morning, Councillor Freeman, that a pitch is the sighting of two types of vehicles. That is a pitch. That is the terminology of gypsy and traveller sites. So you can't say it's not five pitches, it's ten. It is five pitches. I'm sorry, it's... It, well, we're laymen as well. We're at, 
Well, I'll ask Mr Brown to give you chapter and verse. Thank you. A pitch is, a, is, is where a family is located on that site, and it, can, and it can be, not necessarily all the time, it can be a static caravan on the site in which is the permanent residence of the, of the, of the traveller. There can be one or two um, um, touring caravans, which can be used literally for touring caravans. They can be used for additional rooms. Just like if you've got a family where you've got a daughter and a son of a certain age, sometimes the Torah can be an additional room. So that you treat Torahs as additional rooms as well as being Torah. And there's also day rooms for them to carry out all their necessary, you know, their drainage their, or their um, laundry and those type of issues. That together is considered as a pitch and we consider five of those. In the past, in this authority, we have considered applications on the base of the amount of caravans and that's not the way to do it. That is not, not normally a pitch is. If you go to any traveller's site, that is what you get. It, it can be up to that particular rate. You may have three tourers. You may not, have, you may not only have one tourer. But that's, that's the variations of a fee. But you need to consider those individual pitches as a family, where a family unit would live. May I continue, Chairman? Thank you. Uh, regardless of whether it's five or ten, I, I still feel that the site is wholly unsuitable. Uh, for families and children. I agree with my colleague, Councillor Fairhurst. Uh, I mean, when I walked into it, it's a, it's a very interesting site, uh, brilliantly illuminated at night, I would imagine, uh, very good security features. It looks like a concentration camp that hasn't yet been moved into. And I wouldn't want to bring up children there, even with soft landscaping, which we know from history may not happen or might not be quite as soft as we would like it to be. And in any case, it's a haulage yard. And I know there's a line of demarcation, but I don't think anybody's going to put a fence between the two. So it will basically be families and children at the far end of a haulage yard without any sort of protection from the sun or whatever. Okay, it's a small area, brown on the map, which is a children's play area. Uh, frankly, I don't think it stacks up at all. And I, I am utterly unconvinced by this. I think we need to go back uh, to, uh, um, Essex or Uttleswood needs to go back to the beginning and start again when it comes to traveller and gypsy sites. I don't feel this one is suitable, Chairman. Thank you, Mr Chairman. If I may, I'd like um, a point of clarification, then I could maybe come back with some comments based on that answer. We had a discussion this morning which um, drew a parallel with the five-year housing supply and then the five-year um, supply of, of gypsy and traveller sites here. Now then, this is an area which I'm not uh, an expert in, but the third speaker there, who I think was a barrister, um, not 100% sure, uh, she seemed to maintain that that parallel uh, situation did not here apply. I wonder if you could uh, respond to that and possibly clarify. There's a number of things I need to clarify on that particular issue. The first issue was that uh, I think both speakers, both objectors, said that we can't demonstrate that we need travellers' sites. Uh, I think that, that's the starting point. But we cannot demonstrate as an authority that we have a five-year five supply of gypsy, travel, gypsy and traveller sites. That's where we stand. It is said in the guidance that the normal way forward, if that is the only reason why you're approving them, that temporary is, is, is the solution, particularly on that particular point. That is if you're looking at a, and this is for members to make this decision. I mean, there's lots of legal 
legalese going on, but you haven't made the decision yet. So the situation is you need to be considering is this is a site, a brownfield site, it is a haulage yard on the edge of a village. It's members' decisions from their visits to morning to decide whether or not how sustainable it currently is. So that is the decision. So therefore it is the lack, we cannot demonstrate a five-year land supply of travellers, traveller sites. Um, because of that, uh, normally we would normally, if this was just a greenfield virgin site, we would be talking about potential temporary. It is a brownfield site, haulage yard, and we do need to demark between the two. That is where we're sitting in terms of where we are. And that is why we've made the, we've made decisions as officers in recommending it, but as members to make that decision, is the fact that on balance, we feel that this is a brownfield site and we therefore, with the five-year land supply, lack of demonstration that it is an appropriate site. And members need to make that decision in terms of whether it's an appropriate site in terms of sustainability, an appropriate site in terms of its impact on the countryside. Because the third, second speaker was quite right, we do need to take into account S7, but you need to take into account in terms of whether this causes harm in, in, the, in, the, in the countryside, as well as the fact that it has a history of residential rejections on the site. You need to consider that on balance. And, and, and that, that's, it's, it's a case of waiting, putting weight to different issues, as opposed to, you know, and officers would have made that decision. So it's down to members to make that, that, make that judgment. Hopefully okay, yes, thank you. That, that helps. I think it probably helps in saying it's still something of a, a grey area, but it certainly doesn't carry the same weight as a lack of five-year housing supply would for a normal housing planning application. So uh, I'm, I'm working on that base. That's, that's my interpretation. Um, I am concerned about S7. This is, this is a field which, uh, and it's almost a philosophical point. Oh, yes, it's a brownfield site at the moment. However, that brownfield site borders into uh, extremely attractive uh, countryside. Uh, and as such, my view is that that is and would be a site situated in the countryside. I have further significant concerns about considering this in isolation from, uh, uh, from the, the whole picture of um, uh, the provision of gypsy sites in the district and I am fully aware that that is not a planning consideration which we can use here. Um, however, I think there is absolutely enough um, other problems with this site, particularly with S7 access to the village that uh, would cause me and I certainly will vote against this application. Councillor Fairhurst, you wanted to come back. Thank you, Mr Chairman. In summary, I think the position we have is that, first of all, we as councillors have to ask ourselves if we are prepared to build, bring our families up in that, under those conditions, and if not, why would we want travellers to bring their families up in that situation? That's the first question we should ask ourselves. And if we feel that way, we must ask ourselves what our, what our position with travellers is going to be in the future. Secondly, I would ask the council, please, let's plan first to make decisions later. This is a situation where we seem to be, again, doing something on a knee-jerk reaction instead of having a plan for, for overall traveller positions. Let's plan first and then make the decisions. There's not enough planning, please. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Right, uh, members, we have a recommendation from officers to approve subject to conditions. Does that meet, does that find a proposer? Councillor Chambers has proposed that. Does that find a seconder? And Councillor Hicks has seconded that. You certainly may have a recorded vote. 
When your name is called, please uh, answer yes if you are in favour of the recommendation to approve or no if you are against or if you want to abstain, you also notify accordingly. And please remember to switch your microphone on. Thank you. Yes. Councillor Paul Fairness. No. Councillor Eric Hicks. Yes. Councillor Eric Hicks. Yes. Councillor John Lodge. No. Councillor Janice Lockman. No. Councillor Alan Mills. No. Councillor Howard Riles. No. Therefore, the proposal is the proposal is lost, and we now need a proposal for refusal. Please. Councillor Davies, seconded by Councillor Fairhurst, and we need a reason for that uh, refusal proposal. Uh, F7, S7, uh, and lack of sustainability with um, uh, access to the village by footpath. Um, I will come up with some wording for that. So, so Councillor David, you've just said S7 and lack of sustainability. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, this is un uh, it's down to the fact that you feel, and members of maybe resolving to that the site is unjust, unsustainable location in the open country so that doesn't need to take that. There's standard stuff. We can do that. What will happen with all the buildings and the caravans that are in the, in the position now? Please, I have asked you before to refrain from calling out. We did discuss that matter when we've had this vote and we've finished the process and we haven't finished yet. I will then give you a little bit of an opportunity to talk to Mr Brown because we'll be having a break while the chamber is cleared. So if you can bear with me please. Right, we have a proposal for refusal proposed by Councillor Davey, seconded by Councillor Fairhurst. Do you wish the recorded vote on this one? This is a proposal for a refusal based on S7 and sustainability issues and we're going to feel a recorded vote so again if you are in favour of refusal you answer yes Sorry, could we have some clarification on S7 because it does say um, sorry and I will read it can you hear me? Uh, it does say um, uh, in the countryside which will be protected for his own sake planning permission will only be given for development that needs to take place there or is appropriate to a rural area and I think that is um, that is the thing I have the problem with because although I, I don't think I could agree on S7 because uh, traveller sites usually are in a rural area and um, I think that, was, that would be the policy that I would have the problem in supporting on this. The others I'm fine with but I, I don't think I could go with S7. Well I'm quite happy to stick to sustainability if that uh, is sufficient.
it's very important that we get this right, because otherwise it would be overturned on appeal. Now, That's why I want that clarified, yeah. Indeed. And the third speaker was a barrister who came out with some very good reasons. Why don't we just copy those into every and adopt them? Because, <laughs> sorry. Please, quiet. The, oh, that's silly. the reasons for refusal offered up must be from the members. Oh, sorry, can I just... And from the debate, there is a clear indication that members are not... Que- Thank you. Well, I mean, my son's a barrister. I don't always agree with him. So, uh, I, I, you know, I want to make sure that if we do it, we do it right, because otherwise it will be overturned at appeal. We just can't say no willy-nilly. We have to have very good reasons for doing that. And I don't actually think S7 is a very good reason. And I'm sorry, I disagree with the barrister. Right. We shall uh, proceed to the vote on S7 and sustainability as being reasons for refusal. And again, when your name is called, please answer yes if you are in favour of refusal. Councillor Chambers. No. Councillor Davy. Yes. Councillor Fairhurst. Yes. Councillor Freeman. Yes. Uh, Councillor Hicks. Um, I will abstain, um, but at the same time, Chairman, I'd like to say, and I'm abstaining because I don't think that a planning committee can be conducted in these circumstances and get to sensible decisions. It, it's being uh, browbeaten and uh, uh, tried to be cowed by a, a, a mob rule attempt and oh. yes, a noisy mob rule I will add and uh, I really don't think that the planning committee can sit in these circumstances and, and achieve sensible decisions Councillor Lodge uh, Yes, we're doing yes when we're for refusal Thank you, yes <laughs> Councillor Lachlan I'll abstain because of S7. Councillor uh, Mills? Yes. Councillor Ranger? Abstain. Councillor Riles? Yes. Six, four, one against and three abstentions. So the application is refused. We're going to take a five minute break while the room clears and if that lady would like to make herself known to me down here, please. Thank you.
seriously. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Thank you, Chair. The application site comprises a two-storey red brick building located within development limits and the conservation area in Stansted. The building is a carpet shop with ancillary storage and office space on the ground floor and a residential unit on the first floor. The application proposes to demolish two single-storey extensions, construct a two-storey extension and apply for chains of use from one shop and one residential unit to one shop and three one-bedroom residential units. I don't know if you can see, but there's a red line on this drawing, and that indicates the existing building line. And you can see the proposed extension projecting beyond this. The view from Chapel Hill remains unaffected. The application proposes one residential unit on the ground floor and two on the first floor. Garden space is proposed for the ground floor apartment, which is in excess of the required standard. Although no garden space is proposed for the two first floor apartments, it is considered that given the site's location in the near vicinity of public parks and open space, that in this instance it is acceptable. One parking space is proposed for each residential unit sorry, and one for the shop. This meets required adopted residential parking standards. The design of the proposed extension addresses the size and scale of the adjacent dwelling and is considered to be acceptable. With regard to the impact on neighbouring amenity, currently there exists an element of overshadowing a loss of light due to the application site being set higher than the neighbouring site and an existing tall wall. The applicant has demonstrated that while the proposal may have an additional impact, this is not considered to be significant enough to warrant refusal in this case. Essex County Council Highways have no objections subject to a condition regarding cycle parking facilities and the proposal is considered to be in accordance with the relevant of local plan policies and the recommendation is for approval. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Stevenson. And we have uh, three speakers, the first of which is Mr. Ray Ball. You have three minutes, Mr. Ball. The case officer's report considers but dismisses the impact that the proposed extension would, have on, extension would have on my house. I disagree with that assessment because the report contains serious errors. It fails to give full and proper consideration to the adopted planning policies that should be applied. Specifically, the report is flawed in that it makes no reference to the tunnelling effect that will be caused by the extension which would extend the end of my building. It dismisses the resulting overshadowing and loss of light on the basis that it will not have a significant, significant enough impact or warrant refusal, and there is already an element of overshadowing. You made an assessment this morning. Um, can I remind you that a building to the west of my house will have a much bigger impact on afternoon ambient light levels? It acknowledges that my ground floor window on the rear elevation would be affected, but states there is another window that serves this room that will be unaffected by the proposals. Councillors, as you have seen from your visit, that is simply wrong. The four worst affected rooms do not have any other windows. It acknowledges that there will be an additional window on the rear elevation at first floor level, but dismisses this as not significantly detrimental given the existing situation and that any overlooking of my garden would be at an oblique angle. 
Surely the existing situation must be an important consideration which cannot and should not be ignored as the view from not one but two upstairs windows would make a huge difference to the privacy that exists at the moment. Local plan policy GEN2 states development will not be permitted unless it would not have a materially adverse effect on the reasonable occupation and enjoyment of a residential property as a result of loss of privacy, loss of daylight, overbearing impact or overshadowing, and its design has regard to adopted supplementary planning documents. The supplementary planning document entitled Home Extension states that an extension should not unduly restrict daylight to adjoining properties, and it spells out how drawings featuring 45 degree angles demonstrate whether there would be a significant reduction of light to windows. The case officer is correct in saying that there is currently some restriction of light to the rooms at the back of the house. The plan diagram submitted by the applicant correctly indicates increased overshadowing but the elevation diagram does not include a 45 degree line from the top of the two-storey building that is proposed less than one metre away from the back of my house, which, if drawn in, would also demonstrate significant additional overshadowing. The elevation plan and drawings that I submitted prior to the um, applicant's submission um, are accurate and clearly show that light would be restricted to the extent that it would most definitely have an adverse impact, especially if you consider 45 degree lines from both ends of the proposed building. Councillors, I urge you therefore to refuse this application on the basis that it is contrary to the local plan policy GEN2. Thank you, Mr. Paul. And our next speaker is from the Parish Council, Ruth Clifford. You also have three minutes, Mrs Clifford. Good afternoon, Chair and members of the Planning Committee. The Parish Council objected to the original planning application and repeats its objections on the revised plans, as we believe that only the issue of car parking has been partially addressed. Planning policy Gen 2 lists the criteria which must all be met in order to permit development. We believe that the application contravenes paragraph H, which states that it would not have a materially adverse effect on the reasonable occupation and enjoyment of a residential or other sensitive property as a result of loss of privacy, loss of daylight, overbearing impact or overshadowing. The Parish Council believes that this proposal would indeed have such an adverse effect, particularly in terms of loss of daylight, overbearing impact and overshadowing. The neighbours submitted diagram showing the 45 degree rule as referred to in the supplementary planning guidance indicates that there would be considerable loss of light, but this particular diagram is not referred to in the officer's report. The difference in ground levels between the application site and the adjacent property will, in our opinion, create an overbearing impact and tunnelling effect. Outside amenity space is only provided for the ground floor apartment, and the other two apartments therefore clearly do not comply with the Essex Design Guide requirement of 25 square metres per Wembed apartment. The fact that the village recreation ground is a few hundred metres away we do not believe is sufficient amenity space. We consider the proposed extension to be out of keeping in the conservation area due to the overbearing nature of the building which is out of keeping in the street scene. Lastly, with regard to parking, the final sentence of paragraph 10.15 states that the parking provision is sufficient because of its central location in the village. 
We believe its central location is the very reason that provision is not adequate, because of the limited off-street parking available and the pressure this puts already on local roads to accommodate the knock-on effect as people park there in preference to using the pay-and-display car parks and walking to their destination. The suggestion that customers of the shop walk to it or use the public car parks is totally unsupported by evidence and given what actually happens now and has done for years in its previous use as a carpet shop cannot be expected to occur in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Um, members, any questions of officers? Councillor. Before I say anything, I'd like some clarification because there was some confusion on site this morning about some windows downstairs and uh, supposedly there were two windows and the applicant said no there's only one window could we have that uh, clarified I think you said it would be brought up and it hasn't been so I'm asking that the issue, sorry yes. the issue was the in the report it, it does say that those I think it's the issue is about whether there's two windows serving one room whether it's actually for members when they went in there today both downstairs and upstairs sees it's clearly two different rooms so therefore it's not two windows serving one one room it's one window serving one room so each there's four rooms with one window to each as opposed to two rooms with two and two windows so the same amount of windows more rooms okay thank you well and that thank you i just wanted that cleared up well i do know this uh, site because i live in stansted and i do know how horrendous Chapel Hill is. Uh, it's a nightmare getting up and down and when the new health centre comes it will probably be a lot worse. Also St John's Road is a private road. Uh, it's the double yellow lines going up past the shop I believe. I can't try and envisage and remember how it was when I saw it this morning. Um, it is acknowledged in the report that um, that the parking isn't great uh, and I, I agree with that. Also I do believe it has a very big overbearing effect on the next door neighbour. So I put my glasses on, I can't see without them. Uh, so, and I actually think it goes against Gen 2, Gen 8, and H8, which is the overbearing effect. There's also no amenity space. And I think, um, you know, for somebody who might want to hang out their washing, that's a bit difficult. And okay, you can say you can have a washer dryer or something like that. But I, I do think that in apartments, uh, the amenity space is very important. And also, it is out of keeping with the surrounding area. There are no apartments there. It's a conservation area. Uh, and, it, you know, they're really very nice houses in a very nice conservation area. And I think this will do nothing to enhance that. So I will not be voting for this application. I, I have a query on the uh, 45 degree issue. Um, unfortunately, that is, is up there. We've shown the 45 degree line coming from the, um, the new two build extension. So the right, the right hand, the, long, the longest protruding bit, and I think that shows then that the uh, obstruction is, uh, is marginal. It looks like it takes out maybe a tad less than half of the window, which I think is the criterion. However, should there not be a 45 degree line drawn then from the second floor build on the left hand side as we are looking at it there, which would then uh, roughly go halfway through the top window and go completely put the bottom uh, window in shade on that criterion? Or am I totally misinterpreting it? 
Right, I think from the plans that I see here, it's the recess bit that you're talking about, there, which is set further back. I think, I don't know how further out that that projects, um, but the 45 degree um, angle would be marginal on that because there's only, it only fractionally projects further forward than the adjacent property. Um, Right. Just to interrupt and say, yeah. I have a problem with marginally. Okay. We need to be a little bit more precise than that. Okay, if you're taking the 45 degree rule from here, if you're taking it at a angle there, the 45 degree rule will come past here at a plan level. So that being 90 degrees, 45 degrees, so that will be the first line. In terms of, so it will come across um, and take into account these two windows here at an L-shaped angle if you're could I just interrupt again? Yep. We seem to be doing 45 degrees on a vertical and a horizontal plane. Could you just explain which ones you're doing at each time, please? Right, so the 45 degrees, uh, a plane level, so you have to take two 45 degree angles into account, both at a horizontal and a vertical level. So in terms of a horizontal level, the 45 degree angle will take into account this window here, and this window here of the neighbouring property. In terms of the second, the vertical line, if you're taking the 45 degree angle here, if you're taking this line and moving that across because they're at the same height, that will come across and take that area out here but it won't hit the window on the next elevation, if I go back again. So the ground floor window, which is located here, that would cross slightly, that will cross, um, but this won't affect this window here. So there will be some impact upon this window at, um, on the neighbouring property. So this window here. In terms of... Um, how further out it projects say it's hard to do it on this because I don't have the full plans well unfortunately I can't do that on an electronic system um, I need to do it on the plans which it will take some time to actually do whilst that is being um dealt with. Uh, any other questions, members? Right, the, the points that I <coughs> raised this morning relate to the fact that the plan is inaccurate in as much that the major extension, the one that comes furthest back, um, has a window omitted on the plan on the flank, on the St John's Road flank, and that would, if that were installed as shown on the elevation, then that would preclude the need for the window shown in the 
gable end of that extension to be openable or um, uh, clear glazed. So that, that could uh, resolve an overlooking issue that might be uh, potentially there. The second issue was the fact that the extension line on the, the path of the development that we're querying now with the 45 degree lines is built up on a boundary wall line that does not line with the flank wall of the existing property and therefore would lead to um, the gutter line not being able to be extended in the same manner um, for the extension so you would lose the overhanging rafter feet um, with the detail and the gutter line and I think that would not be an acceptable uh, result and I would be unhappy with that so I would be looking for a revised plan to be submitted so I would be um, not voting for this as it stands. Thank you. Councillor Mills. Mr Chairman, under the uh, circumstances, I think we could probably go to a vote at this stage. If nobody else has got anything else to say. I mean, I'm quite happy that I've heard Sorry, sufficient. I missed what... I've heard sufficient, so I'm quite happy that we go to a vote. And therefore, I would propose... I mean, the proposal is for a, um, an acceptance... Um, I would like to say that I, it's not in my sort of... I would like, like to do that. I would like to vote against that option. And, uh, you are proposing refusal. I'm proposing a refusal, yes. On the grounds of overlooking, overshadowing and loss of amenity space. Mr Chair, I second that proposal as well. No, I don't need it. Given also the fact that the drawings are, you know, there are a few errors on the drawings as well. Right. Um, That's okay, not I'm, going, issue I'm, here. I'm going to take a seconder for that proposal, which is Councillor Riles. Um, but it's been drawn to my attention that the agent wished to um, speak. It didn't register to do so. But considering that we've deferred this once, I want to be absolutely sure that we've got every. A uh, sure. bit of evidence available to us, so I'm going to use my discretion and ask the agent to speak to us. And your name is? Uh, Charlie Viss. Charlie Viss. You have three minutes. Thank you. Uh, just for the record, we did register to speak. I don't know whether it translated across to the committee, but we did register. Okay, you're not on the list, but you're in the seat. Okay, thanks. I don't know how regular it is to be able to speak after the deliberation, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> We're nothing if not flexible. Um, well, this are, a lot of what I was going to say has been said, but this application is obviously to provide much-needed additional housing in the highly sustainable centre of Stansted Mount Fitchett. Three one-bedroom units will be incorporated within the residential parts of the building and the shop will be retained as existing. The units are actually all compliant in terms of size layout and, importantly, um, the parking provision. It's off-street parking. It's secure. There's good amenity space nearby. Um, I live in the village too, and um, I know how far away the wreck is, and I know that there's plenty of open space nearby. Um, there's also a private garden for the ground floor unit, but having said that, they are one-bedroom flats, and they're not family units. The application has been revised after quite a significant amount of toing and froing with officers, um, and we've taken into account all of their concerns, um, providing the parking and the extent of the proposed extension. Um, 
the scheme doesn't anticipate building beyond the existing level and extent of the, of the neighbour's property. It's exactly the same. Um, it doesn't project any further than that. And um, we, we would say that the officer's assessment is the one that we've been working with all the way through. Furthermore, the officers do comment that with the alterations and the proposals and the materials that they're suggesting that actually this will be an improvement to the, uh, conser the conservation area, particularly in terms of materials and the look when viewed from the conservation area. It's not actually in the conservation area, it's, it's just adjacent. The applicant accepts all the suggested conditions and believe, it is a, believe that it is a compliant and worthwhile scheme actually because it does provide much needed new housing um, but in particular in respect of the materials and the proposed landscape and the general tidying up um, we accept all the conditions and um, we try to recommend it to you for your support. Thank you. We're looking for some information on the 45 degree rule. Okay, so in terms of looking, the um, dining room window, which is located, if you can point out whereabouts it's located. That's right, that, that window there, that would be affected by the projection which is closest to them. Um, the question is, in terms of factoring degree, how much um, additional impact there will be because there is an existing single-storey extension that is already there against the boundary um, and the first floor element will be going above that. Um, so it's a case of um, balancing out how much additional um, impact that there will be on that window um, as a result of the first floor element uh, which will be closest to them. But there will be some impact as a result of that. Thank you. Um, could you put back up the photograph that we were looking at just now at the back of the property? Thank you. Um, the, uh, due to the height of the buildings, that uh, lean-to conservatory has a boundary wall to it, and I believe that line is shown on the 45-degree line diagram, is it? The top of that wall, the effect? Yes. Yeah. I'm not quite sure if actually that is the line of the boundary wall further back. If you took the line of the abutment of that curved wall back on there, I'm not quite sure what this plan is trying to represent because it's showing the extension. So there, there is a couple of lines there, and I'm not sure where the height of the wall. If you go back to the photograph for me, please. Thank you. And I know the other one. Looking on the back, the, the top of the wall, as it exists at the moment, is level with the centre of the window on, on the end elevation. So I don't think the extra lift is going to have um, that much more of a, um, a negative effect on, on the property. It will have some effect, but I don't think it's going to be that uh, desperate. Um, I think, it, however, I think that in the view that I expressed earlier about the um, configuration of that wall and its alignment to the existing property. I think that if we are to get a revised plan, it could well show a modicum of even uh, less projection from the back uh, in order to make the scheme viable and to offset the, uh, 
the negative effect. I forget myself. Correct. That was uh, Councillor Mills and Councillor Riles, wasn't it? Okay. So we are going to go to the vote on that. So all those in favour of refusal. Oh, hang on. Sorry. Need a reason. I think I can pick up the reason. I think we had those. Overshadowing. I think the two issues that have come out are first of all Gen 2 and H8 in terms of the impact upon. Um, through overbearing. I think you're going to do it through overbearing and overshadowing as opposed. H8 and H8 and Gen 2 sort of intermingle. Um, so I think, and secondly, you mentioned car parking. Now that is a difficult one, but that's just, just putting it out there. There is that, you know, this has provided one space per all the residential units, which is within in compliance of our standards. And so just just out there. So remember, are you going to include Gen 2 and H8? H8 and are you going to include Gen 8 for car parking? Yes, yeah, so that's what I'm looking So just go for Gen 2 and H8. Are you happy with that, Councillor Ross? Right, all those in favour of refusal, please show. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And those against? Refusal? 1. Abstentions? 1. one. Thank you. That uh, application is refused. Take control of that for me. Okay, members, moving on to item four point four. Uh, application 15 stroke 1201 at Takeley and uh, Nigel Brown will take us through it. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. Um, this has been to this committee a number of times, but I think only a few of you will actually remember it because um, the application um, is for a single dwelling um, on Molehill Green, um, Takeley. Um, there has been previous applications on this site refused by this committee for single dwellings and for four dwellings on this particular site. The only four dwellings, not specifically on this going further back, um, which have been rejected by this, only the four dwellings has been tested on appeal. Um, but officers' view is the site lies outside of the development limits. It is development in the open countryside. There's an, ed an, ed an edge an additional layer on this one in that it also conflicts with S8 in terms of it is in the um, countryside protection zone um, because to stop coalescence between the airport and the countryside. So um, that has been tested on appeal in terms of principle of development on this particular site um, for the four but not necessarily for the one but the inspector has raised the same issues in terms of the encroachment of the open countryside. We have no issues with the design of the house. It is only the principle of development uh, and, and members it is recommended for refusal for reasons of being unsustainable development and contrary to policies S7 and S8. 
Thank you, Mr. Brown. We have uh, three speakers, and the first is a supporter of the application, Emma Salmon. Do you have three minutes, uh, Mrs. Thank you. The area of Molehill Green used to be an attractive little village. However, around 30 years ago, Stansted Airport began. Excuse me. Three minutes is quite a long time. Can you slow down? Please? Sorry. And just get a little bit closer to the microphone. Thank you. Began buying up properties in anticipation of expansion. This continued up until recently, leaving just three privately owned dwellings out of 53 in the village. Eight are owned by the council and three have been granted plan of permission to convert into two temporary studio apartments. Apparently families do not want to live here. The vast majority of dwellings are subsequently rented out with a number of properties left empty. These properties do not receive care, attention and gardens and hedges are left overgrown and houses are fallen into disrepair. The construction of one new dwelling will assist in the improving, the, improving the area. The government is keen that people are given the opportunity to live where they grew up in. This is in line with the their localism agenda. My husband's grandparents lived in Molehill Green. His great-grandparents were raised there, the building the bungalow in the 1940s, and his father was raised here. Now he would like the opportunity to live in this area. This is not possible without planning permission, as the airport are not selling houses that they have purchased. This proposed development will see a significant landscaping scheme, which will both enhance the development and screen the house. The house will give us the opportunity of building our own home, something which the government is keen to assist people in doing because they create improved designs and are more likely to see the use of local contractors in the construction process. I currently work in the prison service and see adults and children with nothing and no support. If this permission was to be granted in time, our objective would be to become foster parents and help other children that really do have nothing and no support. It would give them the opportunity to become part of a family with good guidance in their lives. This is not something we can currently do in our house at the moment as there simply isn't room. The housing in Uttlesford is becoming more and more unaffordable for the average family. This proposal would give us an increased opportunity to build a dream of our home for our children to grow up in and give us all the chance to help others. Thank you. And our next speaker is from Parish Council, and it's Councillor Bagnall, who I don't... Oh, yes, sorry. didn't see you over there, Jeff. You have three minutes, Councillor Bagnall. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, this proposal is, as you well know now, is contrary to policies S7 and S8 of the uh, adopted local plan and also the national policy framework. Um, Takely Parish Council fully supports the recommendation, by the, uh, recommendation made by the case officer and also reminds the committee that three previous applications have been here, been refused, and as was pointed out, one went to appeal. Uh, and that was also refused and in December 2013 Inspector Nunn dismissed the appeal concluding that the proposed development would cause a serious incursion into the green country, open countryside and harm the rural character of the locality uh, and as stated it would conflict with policy S8 of the local plan uh, which imposes strict control over any new development in the countryside, in countryside protection zone uh, the proposal would also adversely affect the open characteristics of the zone. Um, existing dwellings to the south and the west of the site um, clearly define the edge of the built-up part of the village. Uh, 
and the proposal would result in harmful encroachment of new development into open and undeveloped land. Uh, the inspector did not support the view that this proposal would be infilling because the site cannot realistically be regarded as a gap enclosed by development. Uh, the site's also on a narrow single lane. It's an unmade track uh, and it's completely inappropriate for access to a dwelling. Um, and it's also got a very fragile bridge across the ditch at the front and the visibility displays are also very compromised. Um, the adverse effect impacts of granting permission, specifically the harm to the rural character of the locality and incursion into the open countryside would significantly and demonstrably outweigh the benefits of any additional single house when assessed against the policies in the MPPF if you take that as a whole. Um, so Take Parish Council would urge the committee to fully support the recommendation for refusal by the case officer. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Thank you, Mr Bagnall. You have three minutes, Mr. Salmon. Paragraph 14 of the MPPF informs that there should be a presumption in favour of sustainable development. Molehill Green is in a sustainable location, being a mile from Stansted Airport and Gaunt's End Business Centre, where a seven-storey office block was recently approved, which was primarily within the Countryside Protection Zone. The MPPF refers to the three strands of sustainable development. The officer's report concurs that the three strands would be met by this development and it is sustainable. Therefore, in accordance with paragraph 14 of the MPPF, there is a presumption in favour of the development. Paragraph 14 goes on to say that where the development plan is absent, silent, or as in Uttlesford's case, out of, out of date, permission should be granted unless any adverse impacts of doing so would significantly, significantly and demonstrably outweigh the benefits. The application has been recommended for refusal due to the impact on the countryside. There is no explanation as to why the impact here would be so great that it outweighs the benefits. No justification is provided as to what this perceived harm would be and why, in this instance, it is so great that a sustainable development is recommended for refusal. The previous appeal at this site was refused due to the loss of a gap between urban and rural. It was for four dwellings and this application is for one and covers a much smaller area leaving a sizeable gap. This application reduces any perceived impact significantly. It should also be noted that each case should be determined on its own merits and not judged on previous decisions. New dwellings are needed in the district. Each committee meeting, members are asked to grant permissions for numerous housing schemes which are often located in the countryside and often unpopular. This application contains significant benefits as outlined by my wife. These benefits considerably outweigh the harm. The site abuts the existing development in the village and will provide a new self-built dwelling for my wife, two children and I, with minimal impact upon anyone. No neighbours have objected to the application despite 40 being notified. I look through today's agenda and note at section 6 a recent appeal decision allowing 22 houses in the countryside in Great Dunmo on the basis it provided self-build plots. I'm on the register for self-build plots and have been for six months since it began. I have recently have received absolutely nothing from being on this register other than email thanking me for joining it. Clearly these plots are not coming forwards in Ottersford and this fact should be given significant weight in the decision making process. 
It is clear when balancing the positives of the proposal against the negatives that the benefits here outweigh the negatives considerably. In accordance with paragraph 14 of the MPPF, members need to decide whether the impacts of this proposal significantly and demonstrably outweigh the benefits. In my opinion, they clearly do not, and I request that members support this sustainable development for a new self-built dwelling in an area that could do with a small number of additional market houses. In addition to that, I'd just like to add that there's been two previous refusals both for four houses, um, not for six, and there hasn't been three refusals. That's inaccurate. Also, to say that the track is, is unsuitable for a residential dwelling is untrue because if you look, there's a residential dwelling that exists which uses that track. Uh, and thirdly, um, talking of the countryside protection zone, I forwarded members a copy of an officer's report for ten houses in Takeley which was also in the countryside protection zone, also in the countryside, which was recommended for approval and approved, despite it being for 10 houses in, in more or less identical circumstances. So I, I just hope you can look at this one favourably. Thank you. Uh, members, any questions of officers? Uh, Councillor Locke. Well, I would like, I mean, I know the site because I've been there on previous applications, but I'm conscious that perhaps others don't, and I was going to request a site visit if, if uh, members are, uh, would like to do that, because I, I'm requesting a, de a deferment for a site visit if I get backing for that. So that's the impact, and I think it's only fair to the applicant that we go and have a look at the site. Yeah. So, sorry, Chair. Uh, councillors, uh, my microphone wasn't on. We're going to vote on deferring this application for the purposes of a site visit um, to assess the impact on the local area. All those in favour of deferment, please show. One, two, three, four, five, six. Unanimous. Thank you. And that matter is deferred. Thank you. We're now moving on to item 4.5 of the agenda, application 15 stroke 0326, which is an adverts application in Saffron Warden, and Mr Theobald will take us through that. Thank you, Chair. This application relates to a corporate advertisement upgrade for the existing Waitrose store in Saffron Warden and also for the multi-storey car park to the rear of the store in conjunction with the store's internal refit and car park reconstruction, both which are currently ongoing as most members will be aware. Now the site you can see edged in red uh, in front of you shows the store which is in Hill Street here and the uh, multi-storey car park leading up to Elm Grove to the rear. Now the replacement signage as proposed comprises an extensive range of both primary and secondary signage which will be in the form of either non-illuminated or externally illuminated signs across the site to reflect the applicant's corporate brand and specific site and customer requirements which would include amongst the range lettering signs and projecting signs. The most prominent signs within the public domain would be the replacement Waitrose externally illuminated lettering sign at first floor level for the building facing onto Hill Street frontage, which is this one here, uh, 
and uh, the non-illuminated Waitrose lettering sign positioned at high level at the rear of the building facing over the car park, which is that one there. And the external, externally illuminated Waitrose lettering sign at the rear end of the site at the front of the new car park entrance off Elm Grove, which is the corner one here. Now the proposed signage which, which makes up this comprehensive scheme has been considered in terms of their collective impact and amenity and high risk safety, which are the only two factors which can be considered with this type of application. No amenity issues are raised by officers following negotiations with the applicant during the course of the application relating to the type of illumination proposed for the more prominent signs, including the high-level Waitrose lettering sign facing over the car park, where this has now been changed from an illuminated sign to a non-illuminated sign in order to reduce its visual impact upon the town's conservation area and also to remove its potential glare impact on residents of properties located within Elm Grove to the rear of the site. No highway objections have been raised to the proposal and the conservation officer's previously, previous holding objection relating to the extent of lighting for the more prominent signs has now been removed following the lighting specification changes by the applicant as described in order to overcome this amenity objection and to make the scheme satisfactory from this point of view. It is therefore recommended, Chairman, that this application be approved. Thank you, Mr Theobald. Um, I'd like to recommend the... Uh, we accept the officer's recommendation in this case and would propose approval. Any seconders? No, I'm not seconding. I'm looking for a seconder. I'm looking, I'm looking for some information. Yeah, hang on, I'm looking for a seconder. Thank you, Councillor Chambers. Councillor Freeman. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. Um, the actual uh, document that's on the website, at least the one that I looked at, uh, says um, it would be either in the form of non-illuminated or externally illuminated signs uh, and I think there was also reference to internally illuminated. Uh, can you confirm the, please, the <coughs> type of illumination that we are looking at here for the signage? We have a ruling within the conservation area and within the Saffron Warden. Um, I have no idea whether it's actually inviting, but it's certainly in convention that we do not have internally illuminated signs no, no. within the actual town centre. So can you confirm exactly what sort of signs these are, please? Yes, I can. And I can confirm there are no internally illuminated signs on this scheme. There were, with original uh, pack number one and number two, this is the fourth um, revision pack by Waitrose, or John Lewis, um, uh, following our negotiations with them to remove all internally illuminated signage, which, as you rightly say, is a policy uh, restriction in conservation areas under ENV1 or Gen 2. And as a consequence of that, um, all reference to internally illuminated signage has been removed from this scheme pack, which is the, the fourth and final revision uh, scheme pack. And uh, just to uh, comfort you, perhaps, the most prominent uh, sign of all is the, the rear-facing Waitrose sign over the car park uh, above the lifts. Uh, we initially had two objections, one from the conservation officer and secondly from the management company of the Ferrycroft Road Residents Association where they were concerned that being at high level that might cause some glare uh, to those properties.
So as a consequence, we've made sure that uh, Waitrose, John, John Lewis, have removed all reference to internal elimination within this scheme. I am somewhat comforted. Thank you. Large, largely being covered with what my colleague said there, but it's just an issue with the documentation in that the conservation officer is still uh, opposing internally illuminated signs, so just the, the papers haven't been brought right up to date as they're presented to us. The report um, updates her conservation comments. Um, towards yeah, 8.3 still talks, the, uh, the conservation officer is still um, talking about internally illuminated signs as it stands now. In the papers. 8.3, page 70. She has concerns particularly regarding the following signs, B1, B2, B3 and B5, internally illuminated signage. At paragraph 8. 8.3. Yeah. Well, if you go to paragraph 8.6, uh, this is the email received from the conservation officer dated 15th of June, following receipt of the final revised drawings. This is uh, final revision ah, pack right, number revision, four. Yeah. And as you can see, in response to the removal of all internal illuminated signs, she has now removed her objection. Right. Thank you. Okay. Okay, we have a proposal for acceptance, which has been seconded. And, sorry, Councillor Chambers, did you wish to speak? No? No? Hold it. Right, we are now going to the vote on <laughs> approval with uh, conditions, I believe. Yep, somewhere along the line, yeah. Um, all those in favour, please show. You're, uh, no, nine, four, and Against, one abstention. One abstention. Thank you, that matter is approved. Item 4.6 on the agenda, application 15 stroke 1245 at Rickling Green and Mrs Shoesmith will take us through this one. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. The application site is located southwest of Longridge, uh, which is a private lane in itself. The application is for the proposed conversion of the loft to allow for the construction of a front and rear dormer windows, windows in the gables and um, VLUX windows on the side roof elevations. Um, the dwelling was granted um, consent to be erected and um, with the condition removing its permitted development rights um, from, being from the loft being converted. Therefore, as a result, any such works would require planning permission, hence the application which is currently before us. In terms of the plans, if I briefly explain, um, so this is the front elevation. Um, this is one of the windows in the gables which are being proposed, one of the VLUX windows and the front dormer window which is being proposed. To the rear elevation, we've got a, um, a rear dormer window and another gable window here. On the side elevation, which is the long length, which is along here, um, of the application site, if I show you here in relation to the site plan, um, we've got one VLUX window which is proposed here, and to the other side, 
the inner um, side of the um, roof slope. We've got three VLUX windows which are being proposed and um, another higher level um, window um, which is also being proposed there. In terms of the rooms which this is serving, These um, proposed to serve, if I look at these windows here, um, a landing area, um, bathroom and ensuite, and a bedroom uh, which is located here, um, and, and that's uh, the bedroom window which it relates to. Um, the, this window here, again, would serve the landing area, and um, we've got, um, say, the dormer window each side of the um, bedroom here. In terms of its relationship with the neighbouring properties, if I show you, um, let's say, this is a cross-section of the VLUX windows and the gable windows which are being proposed, which, um, as you can see, uh, a height of 1.5 metres and the VLUX window located at, a, at an angle um, it will provide um, minimal overlooking. As I said, um, a number of the VLUX windows are located at a higher level. Again, this is constrained because of the inner configuration of the loft um, with um, the, the actual um, timber beams within it. Um, as I say, it serves mostly non-habitable rooms. This is a picture from the neighbouring garden property. If I show you on the map um, from this property here, um, say one of the dormer windows will be located here facing this way, and the high-level VLUX windows which will be located here. Um, as you can see, there is a level of landscaping um, along that boundary there. Um, again, this is another picture of the shared boundary. As you can see, the landscaping, which was along that boundary, has been reduced in height by the neighbouring property. Um, again, this is another um, picture showing the orientation. Um, that clearly shows that the dormer window will be located um, so it faces away from the neighbouring property. Right, and this is the front elevation. Um, three representations have been received which, uh, with their comments which are outlined on page 78 of the report. The size, scale and design of the proposal is considered um, modest in size and uh, sympathetic to the main dwelling. The property to the south um, of, of the dwelling located here lies 33 metres away which exceeds the minimum back-to-back -back distances of uh, 25 metres as outlined in the Essex Design Guide. The proposal has been designed and orientated to avoid any direct overlooking um, of neighbouring properties in accordance with policy. There is also sufficient uh, parking on site to cater for the additional bedrooms which are being proposed. As a result, approval is recommended subject to the conditions outlined on page 81 of the agenda. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Shoesmith. We have uh, one speaker on this application. It's Michael Stiles. You have three minutes, Mr.
That button? Am I on? Okay. Uh, yesterday I emailed a letter from uh, Neil McKillen, a very experienced planner and consultant to each of you. Uh, if you haven't received it, I've got uh, copies of that letter. Does anyone want one? No? Okay, well I hope you've seen it. Um, this letter sets out the reasons why, in Mr McKillen's professional view, the current application should be refused. I don't want to repeat the letter, but would like to make some points in reference to it. Um, and indeed to the officer's report. Um, first of all, the question of planning considerations. Um, a key issue is whether the restriction imposed in the appeal and subsequent refusal in 2008 should be sustained or removed. In his letter, Mr McKillen concludes that there has been no material change in the local planning policy against which the previous decisions were made. And in the letter, you'll see that... Um, the refusal was quite um, uh, straightforward in 2008. Um, and uh, uh, also, Mr McKillen does, as you'll see, fundamentally disagree with some of the points in the officer's report. For example, whether paragraphs 10 and 17 uh, uh, of the NPPF afford any weight to considering personal circumstances. He believes they do not. Um, Clearly, if the policy position is not materially changed since the appeal decision and the last refusal, I would ask the committee to refuse the current application. Uh, there is another point too, which is that uh, you saw the section um, drawing, which sadly wasn't provided until after the consultation period had closed, but um, what that shows is that the bottoms of the roof lights are for the bedroom roof light 1.6 metres and for the three other roof lights facing my house uh, they're 1.25 metres, uh, not over two metres as stated in the officer's report. Um, so uh, given the problems with the interpretation of the planning policy, uh, which obviously is the reason I'm here because um, it, it must come back to the committee to decide, um, but given that and given the errors and inconsistencies, uh, I would ask the committee to refuse the current application. Uh, what I'd also like to offer is a personal statement to say that I don't wish my neighbours any uh, harm. In fact, I'd like them to achieve a conclusion here, but I don't see how it can be done on the basis of the current application. What I would uh, be very happy to do is to talk to them uh, after this as to how we could reach a solution, and I think a solution is possible. First of all, you'll see in the representations that the neighbour on the opposite side from me uh, said they had no problem with roof lights. Um, the issue for me is that those roof lights face directly and down into my, um, uh, into my house. One of the things that isn't clear from the site plan is that the bungalow stands on land which is eight feet higher than my house. And that's one of the reasons why the planning restriction was imposed in the first place in the appeal. So what, uh, if, if the neighbour has no objection to roof lights, then what I would suggest is that we looked at turning the... Um, uh, the, the system round, the design round, so that the, uh, most of the roof lights were on the opposite side. Uh, otherwise, um, I, I would obviously be very concerned that they're far too low, and they're certainly much lower than, uh, than set out in the officer's report. Um, and I, I think two refusals, or um, three if you like, um, including the planning appeal, um, suggest that there is an issue here. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. South. Um, I have a question of uh, the officer then in respect of the uh, comments you've made um, regarding the heights of the roof lights. Can you bring that uh, diagram back for us, please? You may uh, sit down, Mr. South. Thank you. Oh, sorry.
Um, and the comment was made in the in your report something about the height of them being not as shown, or the report saying they're not doesn't confirm what's shown on the drawing. Is that? Exceeded to two metres above roof level. I think the 1.7, um, to reassure the neighbouring occupants, it was requested that a minimum height of 1.7 be obtained for this double roof light. And that's the one, the 900 roof light in the uh, bedroom, and that is shown at. 1.6 according to the diagram and that's obviously not to the top it's to the bottom you would never dimension the window to the top um, so what do we draw from that the fact that um, that's up as high as it can go I'm just wondering where that agreement came in on this is uh, I Paragraph 10.5 of your report. Okay, thank you. Okay, the, in terms of the height itself, the, if you look at the blue highlighting there, um, in terms of that, that refers to the roof lights, which are, if I go back to this picture here, these windows here, these are located in non-habitable rooms. So these are rooms which uh, will not be constantly occupied um, or with the assumption that people will be standing there constantly looking out yep. the window. In terms of the bedroom window, which is... Um, the roof light here at 900 uh, which is located slightly higher up on the roof slope here at a higher hu uh, higher up on the roof slope um, if you look at that will be this window here so that will be the um, the habitable room that will be um, I suppose we can say that will be of more concern and that has been raised further up to avoid any direct overlooking from that room in itself um, in terms of the constraints, um, as you can see from the picture here, you've got um, kind of truss going across um, the apex, which will prevent um, th those roof lights going up any higher. As I say, the, the window which is of concern is at a higher level and as high as it can go on that roof slope without any direct overlooking. Yes, I, I understand that. Thank you. That's, that's fine. But it does say in there to... Uh, reassure the occupant of the neighbouring property a minimum height of 1.7 be obtained but we haven't actually got the 1.7 according to dimensions there but with the frame of the window involved as well we're not going to be far off it so it's for members to judge whether that 1.7 or 1.6 plus something is uh, an issue. Uh, Councillor Lachlan you wanted to speak.
Sorry, can I just ask a quick question? Um, do, you, do you think the, the additional eight feet of um, uh, land where the, uh, the property is at the moment would negate the problem we've got at the height of the window? Um, are you looking at difference of um, 100 mil, four inches, if I got this right, um, against, don't forget the land is actually up as well. So as far as overlooking is concerned, would that not be sorted by that? In terms of the changing ground level, the internal floor heights of the building, um, whilst there is a changing ground level between the two, um, th that is one thing, but I think the key element is the internal floor um, levels within the building itself. And I think where it's been demonstrated within the cross section, um, that the windows are higher up in terms of an average height of a person and it being angled. Um, in terms of the bedroom window, there will be limited opportunity, uh, very restricted opportunity for direct overlooking. So whilst there is that change in ground levels, that should make no difference because the eyesight is um, forced away um, at those heights. It will be quite difficult to actually look directly at that high level. That was what I was trying to say. I think you did a better job of me than me, actually. Thank you. You back on song? But difficult to actually look directly oh, at that high level. What's that? Well, that was what I was trying to say. I did a better job of me than me. Stop it. Oh. <laughs> That's never happened before. Just look behind the door there. That's what you'll, where you'll find it. <laughs> 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 I have words with it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh. Quick, I need a valium. Right. Um, it says here, and it's, <laughs> it's a bit confusing. While, should this application be approved, it appears to go against the decision made by both the planning inspector in 2006 and the officer determining the application to vary the condition in 2008. It should be noted that the condition still remains in place in as much as any additional windows could not be inserted in any roof scopes without prior permission from the local planning authority. Now, is that us? Yes. So... So are, we, are you still saying that it is still going against the planning inspector and your own officer in 2008? Because that is very confusing. If you could explain that, please. In terms of the original condition, the condition was imposed um, preventing the... Where you've got permitted development rights, you can do it without planning permission to, to erect it. So it's to prevent, um, for example, the occupier going in creating these dormer windows, maybe at a much lower height, which it could create a problem. And by imposing that condition, it just means that they need to apply for planning permission. So we which can, they have done. Which is what they've done here mm -hmm. and what they have done in the past to make sure that there is no opportunity to cause harm in terms of overlooking and maybe the size and scale of the actual design in itself. Um, I don't know what the design was in the past, um, but the design that is currently before us here um, clearly demonstrates that there is 
very limited opportunity um, to, for direct overlooking. The distances are great between the properties. The Velux windows have been, um, the lower ones are to non-habitable rooms which are unlikely to create any form of overlooking and the ones which are more sensitive are much higher up to restrict it and the dormer windows have been located away so um, that there is no direct um, view view lines of the gardens so in terms of the design that is currently before us um, it is considered to be acceptable and it in our mind it addresses the concerns why the original condition was imposed on there to prevent any harm being caused and would it satisfy a planning inspector now do you think well, it satisfies us as planning officers that, um, as I say, I can't see any reason why it would create um, a different opinion. Councillor Chambers. Just thought I'd better say on this, uh, uh, Mr Chairman, that I think uh, looking at that and looking at it, if you actually look at uh, Velux windows and what have you, you'd have to be jumping up and down to look out the window there. Uh, just common sense tells me that, that the way that they are positioned there, the one that's important that has people sleeping in it, if you like, is much higher. And the other ones there, you literally have to jump up and down to see out, to look out the window. I, I'm sorry, I can't see what all the fuss is. The way that they are positioned there, the one that's important that has people sleeping in it, if you like, is much higher. What are you doing with it, Janice? I never touched it. You saw me. Uh, okay, any further comments, uh, councillors? I'm prepared to uh, propose from the chair that we accept the officer's recommendation for approval. Does that find a seconder? Thank you. That's seconded by Councillor Chambers. And we shall go to the vote. All those in favour of approval, please show. And against? Any abstentions? One abstention. Thank you. That matter is approved. Moving on to item 4.7 on the agenda. Application 15, stroke 1659. Stebbing and Mr Brown will take us through this. Thank you, Chairman. This is uh, an application for a uh, creation of two vehicular access hard standings for um, Uttlesford's own properties, and that's the actual only reason why it's in front of you today. Uh, so little, there's very little to actually show. Um, these are the two residential properties here, properties 12 and 12A. The proposals provide hard standing in front of those properties. Um, there are no issues, Chairman, uh, and the application is recommended for approval. Uh, members, I'll throw that to you. Any proposals, please? Proposed for approval? Approval. Thank you. Seconded by Councillor Davey, seconded by Councillor Fairhurst. All those in favour, please show. Thank you. That matter is approved. We now move on to the last item on the application's agenda, item number five, um, application 14, stroke 0127, Great Dunmo and Mr Brown. Again, it is your, the floor is yours. 
Thank you, Chairman. Um, just a slight background to this particular application. The application was considered by this committee in May 2014 when members resolved to approve planning permission. Um, that particular decision was challenged and to the High Court uh, where on for reasons, for a number of reasons, but the primary reason being that we, the authority had failed to carry out a, an appropriate screening opinion. Um, the authority held up its hands and said we didn't carry out a screening opinion, but unfortunately you still have to wait for it to go through the system to come back again. And the, uh, the High Court quashed the decision and has returned it to the local authority for a decision. So they haven't refused it, but they've given it back to the authority to redetermine it. The previous resolution to approve is not a material planning consideration. Um, so your members need to be considering this application afresh. Um, slightly easy because we have a totally different planning committee, um, so, which, which does raise the issue and, and of, of the fact that I'm, I am aware that members haven't visited the site. So that's the starting point. But we ha do have to go straight back to the committee for redetermination and take it where we're going to next. Um, the application is for 99 dwellings uh, with access. Um, this is the only application that's current regarding this site. Previously, there was a reserve matters application that had been refused in terms of detail that was currently in the appeal system. Um, officers had refused that. That had been appealed, and that appeal has been withdrawn. Two other significant, well, two differences in changes of circumstances. At the time we, we were determining this application in May 2014, we had a draft local plan where, where, where this was the draft allocation. It had no, no, very little, if any, weight at that particular time. And I remember sitting in this seat and saying exactly the same thing. There was absolutely no weight to that local plan. We currently have not got a draft local plan, so that is one change. The other change was at the time we were considering the application in May 2014, we did not have a five-year land supply. We currently have a five-year land supply, but as you'll hear ad nauseum from this chair, we do need to sustain a five-year land supply. So that is the difference of where we actually are. I've actually put in the report some of the corrections which um, I'd made at the actual day, whereby the... the, the um, the officer who wrote the report actually said that the, the, the draft allocation had, had material, had, was a material consideration when it wasn't, and the previous resolutions were a material consideration when they weren't. There is not an unchallenged resolution out there at the moment. Um, so the application was for uh, 99 dwellings with access, um, including some improvements to the, the access at the particular location here. Uh, the proposal does provide adequate more um, proposals in terms of garden sizes in accordance with the uh, residential design, Essex Residential Design Go, which we operate as guidance within this authority, adequate provision of public open space, and it is considered that the application is considered acceptable to officers. As an update, we have reconsulted or re-notified neighbours that the application was coming because obviously it was last considered in May, in May 2014. Um, residents are aware of this application and they have made representations, but in making representations they have, had in, they have not come up with any other additional issues that I haven't raised in terms of the update, in terms of the planning situation, that weren't raised previously, and that's what I need to emphasise to members, that, that representations made on the, previous app, on the same application when it was considered in May 2014 are material, and members need to be taking those matters into consideration as well. Um, I think I'll leave it at that at this particular stage, Chairman. 
Thank you, Mr. Brown. Now we have several speakers on this, and I'll take them in the order I've got them here, if that's okay. Um, first one being Alan Storer. You have three minutes, Mr. Storer. Good afternoon. The officer's report is seriously flawed in its description of the changing circumstances since this application was last determined. This is on two counts. First, it claims that the emerging local plan had very minimal weight at the time of the previous determination. However, the report to the committee in May of last year states that the emerging local plan, insofar as it relates to this site, can be attributed moderate weight. This statement is in clear contradiction to that made in the current report, which indicates that it had very minimal weight. Clearly, the now defunct draft local plan was then given more weight in the, in the decision-making process than you are being led to believe. Second, the report on the agenda states the situation regarding the five-year land supply is fundamentally unchanged since the 7th of May 2014 consideration. That is incorrect. The report of May of last year states the Council considers that it has less than a five-year supply of land, approximately 4.6 years supply. That statement took into account the need for an additional 5% buffer. So at that time, UDC could not demonstrate that it had a five-year housing land supply. The current situation is, however, now very different. It's set out in a report to the Planning Policy Working Group last month. That states that the dwellings that will be delivered over the next five years will provide 4.5 to 5 point years of supply, depending on the housing target and whether a 5% or 20% buffer is applied. The uncertainty as to the housing target stems from the difference between the annual requirement derived from the 2012-based household projections and the local plan inspector's suggested 10% addition to that. In both cases, UDC currently has a five-year supply if the buffer is 5% and not 20%. Both the local plan inspector and the inspector at the Keira inquiry concluded that a 5% buffer is appropriate, and that means that the Council has a five-year housing land supply. So that is not the situation which existed when this current application was considered by the Planning Committee last year. The letter you received over the weekend assessed the application in accordance with the statutory process. It explained how the proposal is contrary to, to the development plan, which is the adopted local plan, and that the material considerations, which are the framework, the Great Dunmore Town Design Statement, and the emerging Great Dunmore Neighbourhood Plan, do not warrant an exception to policy. On the contrary, they merely serve to justify permission being refused. Chairman, if I may add, uh, on the basis of what Mr Brown has just said with regard to the housing land supply, the question you should be asking yourselves is, is there a five-year housing land supply now? Not, what might it be in the future? That is not your concern at the moment, in my opinion. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Storer. Our next speaker is Mr Will Lloyd. <laughs> Unless it's ladies first. <laughs> you have three minutes, Mr Lloyd. 
The proposed development is clearly contrary to the following policies of Uttlesford adopted local plan. First, policy S1 in that the site is outside of the development limits. Second, policy S7, the countryside given that the proposed development is in the countryside and is not within the settlement boundary. The policy protects the countryside for its own sake. The proposed development does not need to take place there and no evidence has been given to try to demonstrate that it does need to be there. Dunmow has already accepted many sites with thousands of new homes but has always strongly objected to this location. The proposed development is not appropriate to a rural area by virtue of the fact that it would represent an urban incursion into the countryside. The appearance of the proposed development would not protect or enhance the particular character of the part of the countryside in which it would be set and there are no special reasons why the development in the form proposed needs to be there. Third, policy ENV3, Open Spaces and Trees, in that even though it is outside of the limits of the town and should thus be protected by S1 and S7, the site is visually important space within a landscape that no evidence has been presented to demonstrate that the need for the development outweighs the site's amenity value. The importance of this open arable farmland is readily apparent in the Council's Historic Settlement Charter Assessment, which states, despite being separated by the bypass from the wider countryside beyond, it is visually part of the wider landscape because the A120 is in a cutting in this location. The principal effect of development in this location would be to create an urban area onto an open arable farmland and development here would diminish the sense of place and local distinctiveness of the settlement. And last, but no mo by no means least, policy ENV5, protection of agricultural land, on the basis that the site comprises some of the best and most versatile agricultural land in the district. <coughs> when a previous application for 100 dwellings on this site was determined, the committee refused permission, contrary to officer recommendation because the proposed development was contrary to local plan policy S7 in that the proposed development would cause harm to the countryside. Members, that is still the situation today and you should refuse the application. Also, during your site visit you will have noticed the proposed estate with its three-storey houses and dense layout would be totally alien to the single-track lane and existing properties which are mainly detached bungalows set in generous gardens. This is a contradiction to the design statement S7, the NPPF, and should be refused. Thank you. Mr Lloyd. Our next speaker is uh, Smita Price. And you have three minutes. Thank you. So, according to the National Planning Policy Framework, the purpose of the planning system is to contribute to the achievement of sustainable development. I'm going to give you 10 sound and defensible reasons why this application should be refused on the basis that the proposed development is contrary to both the adopted local plan and the framework. It's contrary to at least five local plan policies. Firstly, it's contrary to policy S1, which identifies the development limits for the main urban needs. It's contrary to policy S7, which protects the countryside 
because the countryside is to be protected for its own sake and this development does not need to take place there. It's contrary to policy ENV5, which protects best and versatile agricultural land and the proposed development will unnecessarily concrete over agricultural land. It's contrary to policy Gen 1, access, because it would basically intensify travel by car. It's contrary to policy ENV3, in that the site is an integral and valued part of the rural landscape, and the proposed development would diminish the sense of place and local distinctiveness. It would be highly visible from the countryside, and no evidence has been presented to demonstrate the extent to which the need for the development outweighs the amenity value of the site. These contraventions are equally applicable through the framework, and I draw your attention to five additional contraventions relevant to the NPPF. The development would fail to minimise the need to travel because Great Dunrow offers relatively few job opportunities and people would be obliged to commute, often long distances, to work. The site does not have access to high-quality public transport facilities, and the nature and frequency of the existing public transport services, together with the sheer distance of the site from the town centre, is such that the use of sustainable modes of transport would be minimal. There is no capacity in the local schools, and it's quite likely that the need for additional school places that would be generated will simply lead to children being crammed into porter cabins. There is no need to develop yet another greenfield site because the council now has a five-year housing land supply. And last, by no means least, if you are to involve the community in decision-making, which the framework says you should, it will be apparent to you from the hundreds of letters of objection and the town residents' consultation that the community is totally opposed to this development. Members of the committee, please uh, consider the contraventions put to you today. This application is contrary to policy and it does not constitute sustainable development and I urge you to refuse this application. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Morris. Next speaker is Anne Dazel. Thank you. And you have three minutes also. Thank you. Members, I would like to talk about noise and air quality with regard to this proposal, things that have been ignored previously. <laughs> right, better? Can I start again? Do I get a re-beep? Thank you. Members, I would like to talk about noise and air quality with regard to this proposal, matters which previously haven't been given sufficient weight. This site is located between two busy roads, the Onga Road and the A120. Taking noise first, Uttlesford District Council has set out noise exposure categories for residential development. The developer's noise and air pollution tests were undertaken in April 2011, and the findings state... The main noise source affecting the site is road traffic, but with the A120 being in a cutting, the noise contribution from the A120 is relatively low. Now, I understand you haven't made a site visit, but if you do visit, you will understand that this is not particularly the case, and laws of physics would say that a cutting actually funnels noise upwards and along, um, away from the road. 
Um, certainly the res- residents' experience is that the noise level is increasing. Taylor Wimpey's report also states the growth in traffic over 15 years would not increase the noise level measurably. In the meantime, the government wants to see improvements to the A20, A120 and Junction 8 of the M11 as it is acting as a constraint on local growth. Stansted Airport has plans to double the passenger numbers to around 35 million passengers per year over the next de- decade and is adding a further car, car park for 4,000 new car parking spaces. The government's May 2015 plan for the east of England has reinforced the A120 as the trans-European route from the Benelux countries to to Dublin. The developer's noise and air pollution report was based on noise readings taken at night and at midday on April 19th to 20th of 2011, which, if you will remember, is between Easter and the Royal Wedding, when for three days of holiday off work you could get ten days. So people weren't travelling. In fact, at the same time, it was the hottest April on record with a southerly breeze, contrary to the normal prevailing wind, which is westerly. And at that point, the A120 wraps round Dunmo South, which uh, will then be, uh, the noise would be, increased, would be decreased by southerly and increased by the normal westerly um, prevailing wind. The developer's report suggests low noise exposure, category B, is the results of their um, report, and it outlines measures to reduce noise to an acceptable level. Over a period of three days in February last year, we measured L90 noise levels of 63 dBA and above on the site on a Sunday afternoon, rising to 67 dBA in rush hour on a Monday. This for those not used to... Oh, really? <laughs> this not used to, for those not used to logarithmic scales, represents more than double the noise levels measured by the developer. We measured instantaneous noise levels of 79 dBA, more than four times the noise level quoted in the report, and within noise um, exposure category C or D. Category C recommends that planning permission should not normally be granted unless no alternative quieter sites are available, whereas category D states planning permission should normally be refused. The air quality side. The regulations limit pollutants which must not be exceeded. These are relating to health issues caused by pollutants including respiratory problems. Nitrogen dioxide is usually of most concern in the UK and is road traffic related. The Taylor Winpre report concentrates on the impact the development will have on the surroundings and restricts its investigation to the predicted pollution level from roads in, in 2018 plus development traffic. It does not extrapolate the impact from increased A120 traffic. In Section 8 of the Council's own screening opinion, there is an existing designated area of poor air quality adjacent to the A120. Although the levels of pollution do not currently meet AQMA status, it is disingenuous to ignore the growth in A120 traffic and just talk about additional impact from 99 houses. For a truly sustainable development, the nitrogen dioxide level must be extrapolated to cover the future increase in road traffic levels for many years to come. Okay, fair enough. Um, For these reasons and others, (laughs) I request that the members refuse this application. Thank Thank you you very much. Thanks for being patient. Our next speaker is Sandra Lloyd. And you too have three minutes.
In addition to the fact that the proposed development is contrary to both the adopted local plan and the NPPF, it is also clearly contrary to both Great Dunmo Town Design Statement and the emerging Great Dunmo Neighbourhood Plan. And the reasons that this is important is because they are both material considerations in the determination of planning applications. The design statement is supplementary planning guidance which UDC adopted as guidance in determining planning applications in 2009. Under the heading Guidelines for New Development, the document makes recommendations for the entrances to the town. These include A120, protection of agricultural land forming the setting of the Chelmer to the east and west-south of Braintree Road Junction, and west, protection of woodland and agricultural land bordering the A120. The emerging Great Dunmo Neighbourhood Plan features two policies which relate directly to this site, these being policy DS1, development limits which state, quote, this neighbourhood plan defines the town development area which supports the UDC policy of infill and protects the rural setting of Great Dunmo. The town development area excludes the site which is the subject of the application. And policy LSC2, important views, which states, important views from Great Dunmo of its rural setting are to be protected. Planning permission will be refused for proposals that adversely affect the following important views. View 7. View south of Onga Road, a view of rural landscape. The, proposal, the proposed development is therefore clearly contrary to the emerging Great Dunmo neighbourhood plan. Paragraph 216 of the NPPF sets out the weight that can be given to relevant policies in an emerging plan in decision taking, whilst the neighbourhood plan has not yet been brought into force, its preparation is well advanced such that it merits considerable weight in the determination of relevant planning applications such as this development proposal. Planning law requires the application for planning permissions must be made in accord with the development plan unless material consideration indicates otherwise. You have already heard both how and why the proposed development is contrary to the policies of both the adopted local plan and the national pol planning policy framework. But it is also clearly contrary to the policies of both Great Dunmo Town Design Statement and the emerging Great Dunmo Neighbourhood Plan, both of which, of which are material considerations and both of which reflect the views of the local community Members, there is no justification whatsoever to warrant planning permission being granted, but there are plenty of justifiable and defensible reasons for it to be refused. Um, thank you very much. Thank you, Mrs Lloyd. Our next speaker is from the Town Council, and that's Councillor Philip Milne. And you too have three minutes, Councillor Mill. 
Chairman, members, Great Dunmo Town Council has consistently objected to the de development on this site as it does not comply with local or, na or national planning policy and would cause serious and significant harm to the countryside and the town of Great Dunmo. The site is outside the development limits of the adopted 2005 UDC local plan and in the emerging Great Dunmo neighbourhood plan which, although not yet made, has reached its current stage with full public involvement and consultation. Local Plan Policy S7 states that the countryside is to be protected for its own sake unless development needs to be there. The development does not need to be there. It would not protect and indeed would be harmful to the character of the countryside. The NPPF requires councillors to recognise the beauty of the countryside, to protect valued landscapes and to use land of lesser environmental value. This site is of four hectares of the best and most versatile Grade II agricultural land and land of lesser value should be sought. The town design statement draws specific attention to the need to protect and enhance the setting of the and the agricultural land to the west of the town fringing the A120. The statement adopted by the District Council was produced by local people, guided by professionals, subject to public consultation and adopted by the Town Council and therefore should have reasonable weight attached to it. It is not econ economically sustainable to introduce the population of a further 99 homes into the town which has limited employment opportunities on top of other planning consents already given. The development which is detached from the town centre by 1.3 kilometres will do nothing to further the social and healthy community. The high density of the housing and proliferation of tandem parking and garages in blocks will result in overcrowded layout as can be seen at Flitch Green and is more suited to an urban setting, it is inappropriate for a rural setting. As we know, two appeals in Uttlesford were dismissed, one at Thaxted and one at Saffron Walden. In the second appeal, the inspector said that in the presence of a five-year housing supply, the development was not sustainable and should be dismissed. Great Dunmore Neighbourhood Plan sets out development limits which do not include this site. The group and the town council feel fully justified in omitting the site and are encouraged by the recent Winslow case that this decision should be supported, would be supported if tested in law. In conclusion, this application does not take into account the impact of the development of the town's infrastructure on rural settings or rural setting, nor the cumulative impact with other recently granted applications, for example Smith's Farm. It is deeply unpopular with local residents. It can be seen by the number of representations who continue to voice their objections to these repeated speculative applications on the land south of Wonga Road. Great Dunmo Town Council and the Neighbourhood Plan Steering Group strongly object to the application as the development is unwanted, unnecessary and unsustainable and urges the committee to refuse the planning application. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Councillor Milne. And our final speaker is the applicant's agent, uh, Hayley Ellison. Now, under the rules, I could give you more than your three minutes. I'm going to give you six. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Mr Chairman. I don't think I'll need that long. Um, Apparently it could be 15, but I don't want you speaking I, for 15 in I my won't. meeting. Thank you very much. Six is all you're going to get. <laughs> 
Thank you. Good afternoon, uh, Chairman and members of the Planning Committee. My name is Hayley Ellison. I'm a Director at Boyer Planning. We're the planning consultants acting on behalf of Taylor Wimpey in relation to uh, the Ongar Road site at Great Dunmo. You've heard from your officers that this council resolved to grant planning permission for the proposed development um, of land south of Ongar Road and Great Dunmo for 99 dwellings in May 2014. Decision notice uh, granting planning permission was subsequently issued in July 2014 following the successful completion of a Section 106 agreement. Uh, that decision to grant planning permission demonstrates the suitability of the site for residential use has been established and that a satisfactory development can be achieved. It's relevant to note that the principle of residential development of this scale um, has also been established by an extant outline planning permission uh, for 100 units. Uh, those units should be considered in your council's housing land supply. As you're aware, a legal challenge was made against the permission on the grounds of environmental impact assessment screening process uh, that's required by the regulations. While the court quashed the planning decision, no complaint was made against other aspects of the permission. As Mr Brown has set out, uh, officers have undertaken a detailed screening exercise which resulted in a screening opinion that concluded the proposed development would not have adverse environmental effects and therefore does not constitute EIA development. This is a view which we fully endorse. And just to pick up on the last speaker's comments, that, that screening opinion did take into account the other schemes in the area and its cumulative assessment. By issuing a screening opinion, the Council have addressed the reason for the 2014 permission being, sorry, July 2014 permission being quashed, and the Council are entitled to reinstate planning permission, the planning permission they resolved to grant last year. Mr Brown has explained that the circumstances have not materially changed since the Council resolved to grant planning permission for these proposals. Um, it's relevant to note in terms of your housing supply that the NPPF seeks that local planning authorities boost their supply of housing, not just meet their their five-year housing land supply. Residents have been notified that this application has been returned to the Planning Committee and whilst further representations have been made, no, issues, no new issues have been raised. It's evident that the sole reason for the Planning Commission being quashed has been addressed. Policy circumstances have not changed and no representations have been received to reverse the original decision. The merits of the application were considered in detail, having regard to the local plan and MPPF, when the Council determined to resolve planning permission last year. Hence, the planning permission can be granted. We're seeking agreement from the Planning Committee that the Council confirm the original endorsement of the proposals and that planning permission is reinstated. Taylor Wimpy remain committed to continuing to work with the Council, statutory consultees and local residents in a collaborative manner to ensure that high quality housing development is delivered on this important site in Great Dunmo. Thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Thank you for that Mrs Ellison. Thank you. Um, I'm aware I've got speakers uh, noted to want to address the meeting. Um, I'd just like to say to the members that, that there is obviously a lot of history to this site. You've heard a lot of the uh, summation of a lot of the issues today. Um, I'm aware, and it has been mentioned, that some of you haven't seen the site. I don't want to uh, foreshorten this discussion that we're going to have unnecessarily, so um, I'm going to sort of ask you not to sort of request a site visit too soon if that's where you think you might need to go. So, uh, Councillor Freeman, you were first. Thank you. 
Yes, thank you, Chairman. Um, I was going to request a site visit because I'm unfamiliar with this site and I wasn't part of the planning committee when it was determined last time. So, And that applies to several of us, I guess. Uh, but if you want to delay that uh, proposition for a little while, that's fine. You have any issues that you want to bring up at the moment? No, no. I, 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 mean, I read we, that you want to see the site, obviously, but I'd like the committee to air some of the stuff sure. first. That's fine. I would like to see the site. People have come along, made their representations. It's only proper Absolutely. that we we deal with those. Thank you, Councillor Mills. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, can um, Mr. Brown please explain exactly what the screening opinion was and why it was enforced? I don't, know what, I don't know what members know about screening opinions, but when an application is put in, when a major application is put in, um, there is, needs to be a consideration of whether an environmental impact assessment is required. Now, that needs to take into account both the proposal and cumulatively what's already been approved. And as the Speaker said, a lot's been approved in Great Dunmo, and we, we should have carried out a screening opinion of this particular. It doesn't infer that there needs to be an environmental impact assessment, but we do need to carry out a screening opinion, bearing in mind what the proposal is. That wasn't carried out. And so the, and that's, but since then, we have, we've actually carried out three now. I think we carried out the first screening opinion, which... We, we provided an opinion and actually the applicant came back and actually said that the, the, you know, the developer came back and said actually that's not a robust screening opinion uh, in terms of the way some of the wording because it, the, the impact needs to be significant full stop to justify uh, uh, us calling in an, but we said not significant enough there's nothing in the regs that actually say that we carried out a second screening opinion on the result of that that we had initial, in, initial contact from the legal representations of the, the legal challenges in the, in, you know, who, who led to the quashing of the appeal, who raised concerns about the quality of that screening opinion. So we've subsequently followed a third screening opinion, which actually takes into account everything, and we consider, we consider that the impact is not significant. Therefore, it, we, we can't justify uh, calling in for an environmental impact assessment. So we are satisfied that that particular element has been satisfied. And, uh, yeah, thank you for that. Any further uh, questions? Uh, Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. Well, I also agree that it, it seems to have been addressed. Um, but I'm not going to uh, pass any other um, comments on that now until we have had a site visit because I do know that uh, other members uh, want to see it. So I, uh, I will say that. But I do, I do take umbrage at the, this report because on number 10, on page 111, on the appraisal, you've got all these policies that we have in our local plan. And then if you turn to page 124, paragraph 11.7, it says the benefits of developing this site for housing in the short to medium terms outweigh any harm to outdated local plan policies seeking to protect the countryside. Well, now, you can't have it both ways. We don't have a local plan that is outdated. We have the local plan that we are using. And until we have a new local plan in place, then we have to use this. You can't have it both ways. You, you know, you either use the policies or you don't. And we have to use them because we have nothing else. So, I, you know, I do find that 
uh, is very misleading, especially for new members. It isn't outdated because we don't have anything better. So that's what we have to use. So if we could please clarify that point. Thank you. Just to clarify that, I think that that's correct criticism of the report. It wasn't carried out by my office, I just say. Uh, but I just say it is not out of date and it is gen generally compliant with the MPPF. There are parts of it which is not compliant with, and one of those areas where it's not compliant with is S1 in terms of our development limits. We, we, the development limits are out of date, but the general development management policies are up to date, um, and the countryside bids, are not, including S7, including S7. Yeah. I have uh, a question. <coughs> One of the speakers asked us to get clarity on the uh, current five-year land supply situation, which we would like, and also if we defer today and we come back in a month's time, what is, is the situation going to be overchanged much as far as we can conclude? To be frank, we haven't approved very much today in terms of any, you haven't got any significant applications in front of you apart from this very one. So I would envisage that there wouldn't be any major applications approved between now and then, um, other than any legal agreements that are completed, but I can't anticipate any that are actually going to progress. So I don't think the five-year land supply will be any different, except that we're one, one month further into the year. So, But we can clarify, and what I would anticipate doing is actually doing a rather than appending the report, doing a new report on the particular application. But the, 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 as, as, as I said, the resolution was to come back to here for redetermination and wherever we go. So I would update the actual report as a new report. Well, I'm happy with that, members, if you are. And I'm going to propose, in light of no other questions, propose on the chair that we defer this for a site meeting for the benefit of the members of the committee who have not familiar with the site being new members and that um, we can assess the impact and all the other issues for ourselves. Um, does that find a seconder? Seconded by Councillor uh, Fairhurst. Um, so we'll go to the vote on that, please. All those in favour, please show. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And any against? Ten. Did you? Yeah. So that uh, is now deferred for a site meeting which will be arranged by officers in conjunction with residents and uh, we will bring the matter back to the next committee meeting for final determination. Okay, thank you very much. Just to yeah, sorry, just to introduce to the new members of the committee, this is, it used to be a monthly event, and as I said last time, well, I'm going to try to make this quarterly now, because you're going to have, hopefully, an enforcement report next week, in terms of what, next month, in terms of what's going on. I just wanted to know whether members, having seen this, um, is this what you want, or is there any, anything else that you would like around the appeal decisions, bearing in mind we're going to be having a quarterly appeals report. Um, but members will, I'm sure there may be some comments in some of the decisions made. Uh, I've got nothing specific to say, but I'm happy to take questions. Councillor Yes, I'm very happy to see that. A number of them we, uh, we see as they happen. Uh, 
Sure, a couple in two weeks' time. We'll see as they happen, but it's good to have them documented like that. Councillor Lachlan? I don't have to declare any interest, because one of these is a best friend. No. Oh, it's you, okay. You want to crow about the ones you refuse? No, no, this is a <laughs> sawmill at Elsinum. <laughs> <laughs> Could I also add, if any members have got any burning issues in terms of any appeal decisions come up, then give me a shout. Give me or Andrew a shout or any of the officers a shout, and we're happy to talk through those particular cases. No problem whatsoever. Can, can I refer to the sawmills one? Um, I, trying to, I haven't read the appeal decision letter, I must admit, um, but looking at the summary of the decision, I'm still not clear whether they're going to cross the railway under the tunnel and up through the field or whether they're going to be made to go across the crossing. But whether Network Rail is still going to plan to close that crossing. Yeah, that's what's happening. But I would also say, and this is not locally, we would never say that that is a safe crossing, bearing in mind what's happening in Elsham in the past, but in terms of the... Inst that was further down, but I mean, I wouldn't even talk about any crossings in Elsham being so. But yes, it's, to, it's still to be there, but they don't have to provide a formal public footpath in order to do it. I mean, it's, it's still that. They could close the crossing. They could close it, yeah. The tunnel is still there. It's still, not yeah. Necessarily going to be made up. That's right. And the inspector concluded that the, the whole idea of going across the crossing doesn't mean that it makes it unsustainable development. So it was a really interesting discussion, but also said that in terms of provision of a formal footpath was disproportionate to the amount of dwellings. So we are where we are. But that was a in very interesting one as we went through the system. Okay, members, if you have no further comments, I have no urgent business that I've been notified of, so I'm going to declare the meeting closed at two minutes past five and thank you for your attendance and concentration. Done.